Yay. Doctor Who season five. Doctor Who season five. Season five. Season five. Okay, keep going. Season thirty-one, as the case may be. Wow, wow, wow. Season season one. Or season one. <laughs> yes. S. New Doctor. My stars. So, first impressions. Well, yeah, let's talk about how we felt about it overall. Overall, well, we, I, I was maybe just thinking about how we thought about Matt Smith at oh. the beginning. Maybe not necessarily uh, at the end, but uh, what did we think uh, about okay. uh, his appearance, his first appearances? I'll go. I was really worried about him because every little promo shot of him to start with looked like he had a big Muppet nose. And, like, <laughs> I was just like, oh, uh, he looks like Grover. But, actually, I think he – they had this uh, – somebody. one of you sent me a link to to an interview with him or something, and it had a shot where he started looking over his nose at you. And it's the giganticest snaz, snaz ever. It was huge. Like, man, you could sit – the tired as you net nose. It's bigger on the inside. <laughs> but actually, I thought he did a really good job as a doctor. He was he's very believable as a doctor, I thought. Uh I, I was worried as well. Um just because, you know, somebody that unknown. Um and I was also worried because some of the things that, that were in the previews, as well as some of the things that in the first episode were just a little, I mean, the Geronimo stuff and some of those things that I just, yeah, are we going to go through this again? But so much of it was good. And then they phased out the things that weren't working that I was, I was very happy with it. It was almost like they, there were certain things they put in before they knew who they were going to have. And then as things became natural for him, they phased out some of that stuff. And so I, I was very pleased once it got going. <laughs> that his catchphrase wasn't Geronimo. <laughs> yes. Like every episode, he'd have to jump down a pit. Geronimo. Well, that he even had a catchphrase. Yeah. Hmm. All right. Uh, I guess I'll go. Um, I I think this is the classic problem of a new doctor is we whether we like the previous doctor or not, we're just concerned how the uh, the the new doctor is going to turn out. And I was I was concerned because we've all mentioned different things that uh, that uh, seem to uh, alarm us at the previews. I saw a few things that were actually a bit tenantish, and I was concerned that it was he was going to be not different enough from the previous Doctor, especially because he was also so young. Right, I felt the same way about that. So, and actually, th- there was one thing he he was um, he started doing at the beginning where he he was he was uh, he was always going no 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 no, and I, then I realized that that was actually Christopher Eccleston who did that. So I yeah. felt less bad about that. Um, <laughs> But because because you know that's always something that that's historically something that right. uh, has been done, especially as we got on with later doctors, is that we sort of we we get the sense that this is the same man because he briefly takes on uh, attributes of the, his previous personas, and we sort of see oh that's still <laughs> the same guy, and then he becomes his own uh, man. He has his own um, uh, attributes, his own personality quirks. But um, yeah, I was I was certainly willing to like him after the first episode, and I I, I felt good about it. 
I forgot about Christopher Eccleston. I guess that was the first episode he did that with, uh, yeah. Oh, no, 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 no. When the cloister bell rings, when the cloister bell rings. Yes, yeah. That's the thing. Now, it's, um, do you have more you want to say or I, I don't want to cut you off? I'm all done. Go ahead. Um, the interesting thing, I, I wanted to look at him as his own person, but I could not help but, uh, think about the previous doctor and we had talked about it in our last podcast, but, um, I was so done with that version of the doctor and I like, you know, I like the 10th doctor enough. I think David Tennant him as a person seems like probably one of the nicest guys in the world, but the way his doctor was written, he just, and the way he performed it, like just chewed his way through, you know, a lot of scenes and, Russell Davies wrote him as like just sort of charming his way across the universe and everything was the best thing ever, you know, and I was mentioned it last time, like by the time he was doing chops and gravy or the greatest thing in the world in the uh, planet of the dead, it was just like, shut up. And, yes. uh, and this whole, like that sort of approach of like, aren't I just the greatest thing in the universe? And like, it's that one minute and then flip the coin. And it's like, I am the lonely God. And that just was, routine and it was getting old and I was done with it. And, Mm -hmm. and again, that approach of the doctor, like the doctor with David Tennant was like the guy you wish was your friend, because the first thing he wants to do, the character, when he enters the room, is just want to show you how great he is. And I say all of that because the way Matt Smith created his doctor, it's like for the first time, you know, since Christopher Eccleston, I would say, so that's a long time already. The doctor seems like an alien because he's physically awkward. He's completely oblivious when it comes to women. You know, he's everyone. Everyone's embarrassed by his clothes. He's always, you know, my bow tie is cool, you know, and the way he just kind of physically (laughs) conducted himself, you know, he was like a pre like a preoccupied scientist. Then the guy who just wanted to say, hey, aren't I great? He was almost like in his own little world. And yet you still, or I, you know, as a viewer, I liked him. He's, I thought he was eminently likable. And so you have the previous doctor who was just like, like me, like me, like me, like me. And then the 11th doctor was like, you almost have a little bit of space. Like you can make that judgment for yourself. And I think that's, a, you know, kudos to Matt Smith for an incredible performance and, you know, for Stephen Moffat for sort of generating that vision, you know, I think to bring new light on a character after how many years, I mean, that's a big thumbs up for me. Right. Yeah. And and honestly, the first couple episodes, the only reason I kept watching is because I, the only thing I liked about it was him. Mm. That is a good uh, point, which I'm sure we'll get into. We will. We will. Yeah, no, it did. I, I felt the same way that it's, it took a long time and I, I don't know if it even has yet, but it took a long time for the writing to catch up. With the change mm-hmm. that even though Moffat was going to soften some of the things that we didn't like or remove some of the things we, <laughs> I think he didn't like some of the same things we didn't like. Um, but there was still this tendency. I mean, in the fir- in the 11th hour where he's talking about this planet is protected. And okay, yes. so this, is, this is coming back to that. A lot of this stuff that, has been going on the last few years, and it came up again uh, a couple other times during the season. But I think that they they turned that back around and and had it blow up on them later. 
Oh, Will, I agree. Will will definitely get there, I'm sure. Right. Yeah. yeah. But I mean, I, I think it took some time for, for that to work its way through. And, you know, I, I don't know that it entirely has yet, but, uh, but that I think, I think it always happens when you've got a new doctor that the, I mean, the writing happens to some extent before you really know how he's going to play it. Yeah, that's happened a lot in past years. And, and so what we saw was some of the writing end up being just either generic or for te- or, or in the tenant style, and then he has to, pr- you know, shape that. And as it went on, I felt it became much more clear that this was now being written for him and for that's- the character he's created instead of for the generic doctor or for what we think he's going to play based on the fact that we just had David Tennant. Right. And on top of that, they filmed the stuff all out, out of order. Mm-hmm. So. Ah. How would they know, film first then? The very first scene he did, uh, was his farewell to River Song when she was going to jail at the end of the Angels episode. Oh, really? Hmm. Yeah. And he was, oh, wow. he, na- he nailed it. You know, that scene on the beach or whatever it was. Yeah. Huh. Fascinating. So. Cool. So what do we do? Do we jump in here? Wow. Yeah. Well, well, by episode as we have in the past, that seems to work. Sure. Composer. First episode, they had the fix <laughs> wrong, completely wrong. Huh? I don't, I, in the first episode, the star of the first episode was the music. My music is king and it shall be above everything else. They, it was so over the top music in that first episode that I almost couldn't watch it. <laughs> like when, when they had him, they had the thing where he ran in, in the, in the middle of the park. Well, wait, are we going to go through the sort of the plot of the episode? No, no, I just want to talk about the thing oh, that, that bothers sorry. me the most about, about the way. first couple of episodes. <laughs> yes. And then you guys can do your in-depth analysis, but I know, yeah, but it's like, hey, let's do a podcast because I need to complain about whatever. Well, no. For, overall, I'm, I'm actually, I'm, I'm happy with this this season. But I was very worried at first, especially when the music just went nuts that first episode. Like it was the thing he ran like ten feet in the middle of the field, like just it was so inappropriate. But they pulled back from that, so I I felt towards the towards the middle. I actually liked some of the musical cues, but at first it was. I thought it was going to be too painful to even watch. Which is a shame, because the guy, the guy who does the composing is, you know, the composer. In some cases, he's very good. In some cases, he's over the top. But. I would agree with that. Yeah. yeah. But I, I, think don't know, I don't know if it's, uh, I don't know if it's, well, I think part of it is him, to be sure. Like you said, why jam a, you know, a running cue for, you know, six to seven or eight seconds of running or whatever that was. Right. Um, but then I also wonder like, is it mixed a certain way? You know, like could they, if they just brought the levels down, would it be a little bit more tolerable? I don't know. Right. I think Aaron was saying that too, where if they had just, you know, brought it down like 20%, so it was in the background instead of in the foreground mm-hmm. in some places, you couldn't even hear what they were saying over the music. That, yeah. That's been my problem has been it, often in the last few years. It has been so loud that it's difficult to hear what the characters are saying. And it's, I've, I've come away with the feeling that 
what they're saying isn't important. What's important is um, the emotions that we're feeling at this moment as dictated to you by the music. Mm-hmm. Right. And and I, I don't feel that that's what this show is. Hmm. You know, this yeah. is not that type of show. Well, we've talked about in the last few years how the, the score has started off a mix of electronics and this and that, and has become the, what, BBC Orchestra of Wales, whoever does that now. <laughs> right. So now it's an orchestral score. Yeah. And so it's, by definition, big, which I think doesn't have to be limiting, but it seems to have limited Murray Gold in a little way, is because there aren't, there isn't as much smaller musical cues as big musical cues. And I, I noticed it in a particular way when I started hearing the same theme played in every trailer for the next week's episode. Yay, love the D minor, love the 7-8. And we do something else. You know? I didn't need 13 episodes of that theme. Um, So, you know, again, like you said, Murray Gold is perfectly capable of uh, of putting out a lot of great music. I want to actually turn to a little different direction. I actually didn't like the new theme arrangement. Oh, I'm glad you Oh, I hate that. that Because I, I myself have always, I mean, those of I, us who've grown up on Doctor Who have heard there's only been like a half a dozen different arrangements of the themes yes. mm-hmm. in in the in, in 40 years or whatever of the show, and the ones that have been really wonderful have a kind of urgency and uh, there's something there's just something kind of wonderful and compelling and urgent about it. You don't like the and bouncing ball one? The bouncing ball one. It kind of has this boring, boring, boring thing going to it. What, the new one? The new one, yeah. Yes. The, it's a for, for me, the new one uh, has a problem specifically for how the melody is played. That is that is the impotent part for me. It's sort of la la instead of wah. You know, there's, it's like in the, in the classic series, there was always something wonderful about that. With the exception of the year they did Trial of the Time Lord and they changed it. <laughs> yes, the they little changed the song there. I always hated that one. And I love I love the Trial of the Time Lord, except for the the middle section, which that was an ill judged effect. I thought, but oh, the yeah, I know, I know what you're speaking of. But uh, um, no, for me, it was uh, Kef McCulloch putting a piece of paper over a comb and blowing through it. <laughs> I, I like that theme song. I think it has the urgency that I'm talking about that I love. No, but I, I don't. I don't <laughs> think. I don't think this new one does nearly as much. And I probably like the the new one that they used in the first four series, probably because it's a direct mix from the Delia yeah. Darvish one. Right. So right. well, that. But this is this is different enough. But the the melody itself is not. It doesn't have the same sense. It has doesn't have the same compelling sense for me. And that was, it wasn't horrible, but it was like, oh, it was a bit of a letdown for me. But I'm going to take a little slightly different direction on this. Even though I didn't like it at first, I do like that they're going away because you, you realize in the new version of Doctor Who, it was getting more and more dramatic every season. Yes, it was getting overly yes. over over dramatic, and then they kind of push it back to just slightly corny now. 
You yeah. know, so it, it sort of like they did what they did with the whole season. It sort of went from like, oh, crazy, everything has to be the end of the world to, you know, we can have the bouncing ball sound effect. Well, I had this interesting debate online with some people about all of us felt and still feel that the very original version of the theme is by far the best. And we said, you know, I wonder these people, many of the people who are making the show are or were fans. Mm-hmm. How many of them would agree with that? I and don't. So, and so what, that the that the very original uh, radiophonic workshop version that you can't really even tell how they made it. Mm-hmm. It's so strange. Is I mean to me that that is the most unearthly magical version of it, and you know. I understand you're going to do new graphics, but at some point we're getting so far removed that, you know, why can't we go back a few steps here and get closer to that original strangeness? Because this isn't strange at all. This, this, this tune, this is, yeah, this is an attempt to be kind of catchy. And it's, (laughs) yeah, yeah, I mean, it's, On a random note, I think as the episodes in this season progressed, I don't know if I was imagining it, but it seemed like the thunderclaps were getting louder and more prominent. That's possible. I don't know how to watch. See yeah. the thunderclaps. Like, you know, because there's the like lightning and thunder as the, you know, they're going through the title sequence to kind of oh, punctuate I the see. music. I see what and, you mean. And by like episode 12, it was like, da, 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 da. That might be. I didn't notice that. Could be. All right, I'm going to play. Let's see what happens. Oh, all right. All right. Well, you guys won't be able to hear it. Oh, well, that's great. No, I wonder. I forgot about the thunderclaps. I wasn't even. I didn't even notice them. No, I noticed that. But I didn't notice that they grew. I I think so. And, you know, it could have been the. Swing, bong, bring. So anyway, should we... Uh, well, okay. So yeah, that's that. As far as the 11th hour goes, um, there's one thing that, that immediately struck me with it, and it's something that is I've mentioned before with the other specials, which is that we get these stories that are allotted extra time, and I can't think of a one that used that extra time well. And I, I actually kind of like the 11th hour. Actually, I... I just recently rewatched it for the first time since I originally saw it, and I liked it, mm-hmm. except that I could tell that they were really stretching it to fit that extra time. Mm-hmm. And I felt that that weakened it. Um, you know, a case in point would be the whole food scene, which I, I thought was kind of funny at first. You know, yes. he's frying up yeah. these foods. But then they got to the sixth food and the seventh food, and it really ceased to be funny after the first couple. Hmm. And, you know, it's one of those things that if they would have been filling 42 minutes, I don't think they would have done seven foods. But they're filling 60 minutes. Really? That first one was 60 minutes? I didn't remember that. It yeah, was. I mean, that was the, the joke of the title, too. Yeah. <laughs> it, 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 was, it was one minute and four... One hour and four minutes. And there was but, some extra wow. running around in it. And there was, you know... I. Whenever they've, they've had these longer ones, they, they don't really fill them very well. And mm. so I, I was disappointed in that. 
that I felt it would have been a tighter story if if we if it would have been the normal length. It's uh, it's interesting you mentioned the food because I thought that was one of that scene was one of the episode's strengths. Uh, another thing we talked about last time, you know, it's like for a lot of children watching the show, they, you know, literally grew up, you know, you start watching it at seven years old, you know, and cover, you know, they're yes. 10 or 11 now. And so this is a brand new doctor and I don't like of, pays either yeah, to, to reintroduce the, the doctor or a new doctor, I should say through, you know, a kid's point of view and acting yeah. like a kid. Give me this food. I don't like this food. Give me something else. And being silly, yeah. spitting out yeah. the food. I, don't know, I agree. It's just it got to the when it got uh, to the fifth or sixth one, and he's throwing the food, the plate out the door. Bad, whatever. Yeah, it was. It's sort of like a that's Saturday Night Live sketch. But yeah, and that, that's what I. But that's what I thought. Like that <clears throat> when I watched it, it was like that's for the kids, and I thought that was great. You know, and I was, I laughed. I mean, I I was into it, oh, and I, I thought sort of like well, taking, it's like taking a little extra time because. There is a lot to accomplish. I mean, this was a full-on, for all intents and purposes, reset. I mean, there yeah. is, in terms of characters, there is nobody else coming over from, you know, the last season. So no Will, no Rose, no nothing, no, you know, familiar setting, no Captain Jack, no. I mean, even the TARDIS is going to change the clothes. Or should, stay you know. that way. So like to take, <laughs> yeah, I mean to take a kid and just have to say, you know, he's, you know, he's still a a familiar, friendly, weird character that, you know, but again, like I was saying earlier, in a different way, he's not trying to convince you he's cool. He's just interesting. Yeah. So huh. I, I, that's what I want to say. I like, I like that part. I thought that was a nice. Well, I, yeah. I, 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 laughed, so I think the problem with it was I laughed at the first one. Mm-hmm. I half laughed at the second one. I smiled at the third one. Right. And then the fourth one happened and I went, you're still going with this, are you? <laughs> and then the fifth one happened, and I said, okay, come on now. We got to. Right. Well, that's why I said it's like a Saturday Night Live sketch. Like, they they always went about three minutes too long in a five-minute sketch. <laughs> <laughs> Where it's like, it's funny, and then it's like, yeah, but it's not funny enough to hold that many minutes. That's fair enough. I actually wished he had gone a little bit further in his the dismissal of some of his food. Like, there's a yeah. there's a... A scene from somewhere, and I can't—I don't think it's Doctor Who, but it's like I, I can see someone. I can see this in my mind: somebody eating something, and then they sort of chew it out of their mouths as if it's just sort of gross. <laughs> I, yeah. I wish he could have been more sort he of visceral and gross about how he did that, but he we did didn't that get with to see that. That would have been really funny. Yeah, but oh. yeah, could have done it more though. <laughs> I mean, oh, he yeah. did it. He was spitting like that weird shot of like beans splattering in the sink and right. Right. Anyway, anyway, anyway. <laughs> Just, I wish it, they were totally made for me if like he was chewing and like the chew, which was coming out of his mouth. <laughs> Thank you. It just kind of makes me laugh. I mean, otherwise I, I, I did quite like the story generally. Mm-hmm. Um, and especially I, I felt Good about his doctor from the from the get go. Um, there there was a couple nervous moments there, but it was I, I felt like for the first time in a long long time, maybe twenty some year, maybe long time. Uh, 
this was somebody who I really felt from the get-go got this character and wasn't an actor learning how to play this character. It was this character. Hmm. And, I, you know, I like Christopher Eccleston, but it was Christopher Eccleston's take on the Doctor. And, you know, I, if Tennant, I, you know, it's frustrating because I, I know he's a good actor, but I always felt like this is David Tennant. Hmm. Who's playing the Doctor. And this was, in, in a way, in, in the same sort of way that, that Tom Baker was. That, you know, pe- people have said this on commentaries, that, uh, you know, when, when they talk about Tom, that, you know, Tom was the Doctor. Yeah, I sort of get that impression about David Tennant as well, is that he was much more the Doctor in the Tom Baker sense than Christopher Eggleston was. Yes. But the problem was I didn't... But the, the problem was is Tom Baker was great as the Doctor because who he was fit very well with that. Mm-hmm. And the problem with David Tennant being himself as the Doctor is I didn't feel David Tennant was that person. <laughs> you know, okay. he was this charm. He he was, and I'm sure is this very charming, in some ways normal person. That he's not bizarre, <laughs> alien, sure. alien in that way. I, I didn't just never really felt felt him as as that alien. And and you know, I I don't think that's you know. Co- some, something that's only something that he had a problem with. I think we've had a succession of, of actors in the part who never quite found their their way in. Yeah. Um, but just, and I say this mainly to praise Matt Smith, to say that from the very beginning, I felt like he got this character in a way that other people didn't, even some people who have played the character for a long time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So... I have a question that maybe you guys can can clear up for me. Okay. Because I actually haven't gone back and watched the eleventh hour, but the crack thing. So yeah. there's the crack, right? And the little eye peeks out of the cracks looking and it turns out to be the penal colony thing going after that creature. Yeah. Right? How does that tie in with what the crack means in the rest of the series? Because it's two different things. Uh, not exactly. He um, the, the prisoner zero uses the crack, the fact that there is this breach in time to escape from the prison. Yeah, because mm-hmm. the, the crack connects two parts of time that shouldn't have touched. So, for I don't know how, but apparently he was able to use it to escape into Amy's house. Okay, and and somehow that breach remained open, creating the strange situation. Right, because towards the end, like, if anything came out of the crack and touched you, you would, you know, you'd get erased from time. But yeah, then, you know, there's that, and then there's the other parts where he's, like, reaching into it and pulling off bits of the TARDIS, and then there's, like, stuff coming through it, so it seemed like it was not really consistent. <laughs> yeah, I agree. It was used to literally consistent. Well, who knows? I, I don't know how much uh, planning they made uh, uh, with the arc before, uh, before the stories were written. If they figured out what they were going to do with this crack before the end of the series. They might have done. They probably had the time to do it, but I don't know if uh, if they did. Hmm. Well, I guess your explanation makes enough sense for me to buy it. 
so I have a couple of continuity things to uh, discuss. Okay. Mm -hmm. Um, The main thing is the new TARDIS, the new police box. Yeah. Yes. The which is hideous. I think it's big and bold and beautiful. No, really? I mean, I I I love it. Cool. I, I I actually find it interesting that they brought back a very obscure element. Um, on the right hand side, there's that little badge which says St. John's, John's ambulance. ambulance. Yeah, which I think comes from the Dalek movies. That's if right. I'm not mistaken. That which is, is pretty which is pretty obscure. I don't know why they decided to uh, to use that part uh, in the uh, outside of the of the TARDIS there, but well, there it is. Kind of curious. Well, they did seem to be kind of going all their way to bring in stuff from the old series more than usual. Perhaps a little bit. Huh. So that's that little badge on the on the right door? That's yeah. right. Yes. Do you think it's clever how they made the windows, like, blackened out to have little T's? <laughs> you know, for black. TARDIS? <laughs> if you look at the windows, it's like it's a six, it's a three over three window, and yeah. the, bo- the bottom... Outside too are are like a different color, so it makes a little tea. Well, just, Steve, Stephen Moffat actually made a reference to this in Blink, where he had his police officer explain that uh, the police box they had in custody was the. It's a great line. It's something like the windows are the. It's the wrong size or the windows are the wrong shape. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, pretty, you know, he. I hate the new TARDIS. The interior? interior? No, I like the. I think the interior is great. I think it's about time they made it a little bit bigger and then just a little room. Yeah. But, but I just do not like the outside of it. It looks, it looks like a big old plastic play school version of it to me. It is very clean, and maybe it should look a little bit more beat up, like some of the other Tardises have done. Yeah, but I mean, I understand why it's clean because it got reinvent. It's supposed to sort of get regenerated with them, isn't it? That's true. I think that is the probably the reason why they did that. Right, and it doesn't bother me so much in that case. But it's like what they did with the with the. I sort of feel the same way about the TARDIS as what they did with the Daleks. They gave them a big ass. And we'll this, get, they we'll, just made bigger and 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 plastic. We'll, we'll, we'll get to the dogs. We'll get there soon. Yes, but you can't talk about one without talking about the other. We'll it's, get no, there. I not. It's a similar point, though. I do one. like the light on top. <laughs> oh, good. Okay, that's all right then. <laughs> yes, it one, looks. I have one other little teeny uh, continuity point, uh, which is not terribly important, but it's interesting. For the second time in the series history, the Doctor changes costume in a hospital. Oh yes. Mm. And actually, I found that there were a remarkable number of connections between John Pertwee's first series and this series. Mm. With the return, not only with that little clip, uh, that little uh, scene, but also the return of the Silurians later. And actually some of the, uh, I guess it was maybe just the Silurian story, but also the concept of drilling. Uh, right, Inferno, Inferno. which maybe we can talk about more when we get to that episode. But yeah. just a, a small little point. Well, let's talk about the inside. I think the inside's a good step forward. I Having think it's really nice. I like yeah. the levels. Yeah, that's nice. I agree. I think that they Did never, they never Brian? show. I think we lost Brian. Oh, Brian. Oh, I thought he was. All and right. Jess says held remotely. Oh. 
just two, huh? Possibly. I'm not certain what's going on. Uh, well, okay. Just put himself on Sorry, pause. I'm hold you pause yourself. I'll call Brian. Okay. All right. Brian. Brian. Hello. Brian. Doesn't even say he's ringing. Says he's there. Oh, no, it's coming. Brian. Right. Hello? Brian. Hi. Yes. Okay. Just. That was just me? That was just you, yeah. Yeah. We were talking about the inside of the TARDIS now. That's our... Yes. You didn't okay. really miss much anything. All right. Inside. Uh, we, we talked about we like the, um, the two-level aspect to it, which is nice. And the very rude central column. Oh, yes. The <laughs> phallus. <laughs> well, yes. I never but, thought about that. You guys have. That's the first thing I thought about. Oh, it's a giant phallus. I see where you guys are coming from. Well, it's not so much a phallus as a sexual device. It does look like a. Now that you think about it, yes. Uh, <laughs> 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 Up and down, in and out. Well done. Well, it's also. Well, anyway. Looks like a big I mean, deal, though. <laughs> uh, big last you just cut like you just cut out at the very moment you oh, said that and I thought maybe Skype was censoring you yeah that's <laughs> <laughs> no he, he cut out for me too yeah. oh. well I said dildo oh, <laughs> oh my ears oh that's my ears and that's my sound bite thank <laughs> you <laughs> um but I I would like them to spend more time in the TARDIS you know, I, I always found it fun when they did. I, I like uh, I like stories where they spend some time and sort of explore and have to, you know. Right. Like they could go somewhere else in the TARDIS instead of just being that one room. They could go on a little inside. But you could have a whole season in the TARDIS. It's bigger on the inside. Well, actually, they made some suggestions this season about the fact that the TARDIS is sort of limitless, or at least they did in the eleventh hour where. He had to sort of crawl out of it, and the library was in the, the swimming pool was the library. Right, exactly. So there were some suggestions that there's more to the TARDIS than we know about at the moment, but maybe they'll go there. Uh, they probably won't, just because it, it does make sense that you never would. It's sort of like, you know, implied. Yeah, well, and some of it's budgetary. I mean, how much do you really want to spend on that? But... Uh, I was going to say, on a slightly different note, this episode also had uh, another montage of the previous Doctors. And yeah, the it sure did. The first William Hartnell sighting of the season. <laughs> yes. Yeah, he was actually the he was he was big in the season, wasn't he? Yes, he was. Sedating. It's kind of nice. And so Amy Pond is leaving with the Doctor on the night before her wedding. Oh. And we have. What we think is going to be the arc. Yeah. Yes. The arc. You know, I'm still kind of like dubious about the necessity of these story arcs over an entire series. It doesn't necessarily keep me watching. Because uh, especially at the beginning, you just get these little teases, which we you yeah. hopefully noticed. And then it starts to get going around episode seven or eight. But you, you don't have to have caught any of that stuff at the beginning to really get into that that arc thing. So I, I don't this, see this how season. Yeah, I mean, this season anyway, more than I think in the past. If you did miss it, 
they will conveniently give you a flashback three times. So you that shot of him looking <laughs> at the crack on the wall. Yes. Should never have touched. Or a Prisoner right. Zero saying, the Pandora will open and silence will fall. So they'll just show that, you know, if, oh, I missed that part, so. Well, there's but actually a lot of gratuitous flashbacks in this series. Like, oh, maybe overdoing it. Yeah. And well, it could, this was also the first year that I thought that the, that the arc actually, the, the things that related to the arc early actually had some degree of importance, whereas in the other years, I often felt like I agree. The early, yes. the early, the early episode references were just a little bit of gr- little gratuitous, or they were there just to for them to be very clever about inserting Harold Saxon posters in, or something like that. Yeah. Yes. 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 Well, well as a, as a, as a story arc, I think this was probably the most successful one, and was ended the most satisfactorily. Also. Yeah. Well, they had that that great. Speaking of flashbacks, right? That flashback to the from in the in the last two where they go back to the Amy's Choice one. Turns out that he was from the future talking to her. I thought that was pretty cool. Oh yeah, when she had her oh, eyes closed the, and nobody angels. Yeah, angels. angels. Yes, this is. I said that is clever in a way that the other ones of being clever haven't been quite. Well, let's move on to the next one. We probably should. Anything else we need to say about Eleventh Hour? Nope. Um, I thought it was generally pretty good. I, all right, it peace was, below. Crap. Next. <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, well I, I did just recently rewatch it because um, I did just I watched the first five episodes again recently, and you know the thing about that uh, Beast Below is that it, it it's such a mix of things. Parts of it I really like, I, mainly having to do with with the way Matt Smith is playing the character, and a few sort of just sort of atmospheric things. That are going on there, but yeah, when you when push comes to shove, the actual plot and the actual what's really going on there is I don't think very good, um, and probably in my mind, uh, Stephen Moffat's least successful script. Yeah, it doesn't need to be a giant floating piece of England. It doesn't need to have a giant English flag on it. It doesn't have to be on the back of a thing that looks exactly like a whale, and it doesn't make any sense to have scorpion tails coming out of a whale. That's just retarded. I, uh, I, I, I didn't really, I mean, I got sucked in as I was watching, but I didn't quite follow the mechanism of the Smiler creatures. Now those were, Or even that scene in the beginning, you know, with the kid and, you know, it was just like, what happened? And they kind of go through what's going on and Queen Elizabeth is running around shooting them. And yeah, that seemed like old Doctor Who, but not in a good way. Those smiley things. I thought they were awful. They were painful. They grated on my nerves. Well, if they would have actually meant something, I, I, yeah, I mean, they, they were sort of set up to be this very sinister menace, and in the end, they're just these little robot-y things. That make frowny faces. Right. Well, uh, they so, were allowed, they were actually allowed to be sinister, especially when, in that scene where they popped out of their little machines and were actually creatures that could walk around. That was a freaky moment. I did like that. But then it didn't, they didn't really mean, uh, the problem I had is, is in the end, then what was their significance and why were yeah. they there and all, all that sort of thing just never really came together for me. Yeah, that's really true. That was that was my problem with this episode. The first time I watched it was like, um, 
okay, what was all that about? Uh, it, it was yet another story which tried for it tried for something, but the main problem started right away in that the doctor doesn't discover with us that this place is a sort of police state. He sits there and explains it to Amy. Like that's he arrives and says, Oh, this is a police state. And we and we're sort of all the stuff is thrown at us yet again, which we're expected to accept. And it just it just doesn't fit. It doesn't it doesn't work. There's no reason why we should care because with that kind of start. And and, yeah, it's like yeah. this weird kind of plug and play approach to an episode because if you think about it, you just finished your sort of relaunch with your new character and just the nature of those regeneration stories. He's got to be a little offbeat, off kilter. And then they, the episode two is like, we're getting into it. Now this is the doctor as we know him. And it was in a way it reminded me of new earth because in that episode, I remember watching Tenet because Tenet, this is okay. He's supposed to be settled and this is the character. And that episode, as we've talked about before, it's just, well, it's I, Go ahead. Well, I was just going to say that for me that I'm so glad you mentioned yours because this encapsulates the difference yes. for me, which is that New Earth to me might be the worst Doctor Who story ever made. <laughs> I, and I, I, I thought long and hard about this, and I'm trying to think of one I like less. Okay, I don't know if it's the worst, but it's probably my least favorite. It's, All right, because because it's it's at this moment that I looked at it and said. David Tennant, who I had some hope for, but was maybe a little disappointed in his first story. Boy, they don't get this, do they? They just yeah. don't. The, the, the whole, the producers, the writers, they don't get it. And this one, even though I felt like it wasn't very well written and made, the aspects of it weren't very well achieved, I, the things I really loved about it was Matt Smith. Actually, and I, yes. Yeah. And I thought, and I thought, oh my goodness, that's when I really knew that this guy had it was when, when there's a subpar script and it turns into an acceptable script because he's in it. That mm -hmm. with somebody else, this doesn't work. He had some, yeah, I mean, and he did, he did get to do a lot of things from, you know, comforting the, little girl that lost her friend to, uh, you know, the silly part about uh, ending up in the sort of belly of the beast and figuring out the way to escape, you know, and uh, and even that point toward the end where he realized that in order to sort of save the day, he had to kill the whale or lobotomize the whale, whatever it was, mm -hmm. and got very angry about that. And that was a pretty good range to cover in, you know, a short 45-minute episode, but you know, regardless of the writing's sort of shortcomings, he he I he's very easy to watch. He was great. He was great. I wonder if that's why uh uh there are uh cameos of William Hartnell in this series because actually I find some of his characteristics to be kind of Hartnell esque. Hmm. Um particularly in the fact that he can be he can be very kind of angry and cross and you're not supposed to talk to him when he's cross. And you're also, you're also expected to do exactly what he says without question. That yeah. sounds very much <laughs> like the grandfatherly William Hartnell that we saw in the, in the, uh, you know, first years of the show. 
So I wonder, I don't know if that was a conscious connection that they tried to make, but I found that characteristic of Matt Smith's performance rather pleasing. Sure. I mean, I think it's totally there if, if you want it to be that he's renewed, but he's also older, getting older. Yeah. You know, maybe not as patient for some of these things. So Yeah, especially since the, there was chat of this new actor being an older actor, and then it turned out to be a younger actor, but they gave <laughs> yes. him some older characteristics. That's kind of cool. Not right. Yeah. And uh, So what'd you think of uh, the queen? Whatever. Curious. Oh. Just, I mean, it, it, it's difficult because I, I like her. I, I, you know, I've seen her in many other things, and I, I liked her as an actress. But, you know, it, it really felt like we uh, that, that they got her and then they had to figure out how we're going to use her, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, and I just didn't. It, it was too much of a star turn for me that it was trying. It was just really trying to be too clever for me. Um yeah, especially especially you start thinking about the. I mean, and, and and the friends I have in England who talk about this, you know, are really, you know, is it, really hammering home these sort of class and race issues for them. Uh, and they said it's just over the top. Yeah, yeah, there was quite a bit of over the top stuff this season. Though some of the, the when I watched it the second time, I did enjoy it a little bit more. I appreciated some of the. Issues brought up regarding, like, you know, animal torture and our use of animals, and also um, the uh, the concept of there was a line, something like, every five years everyone chooses to forget, kind of like the, the allegory, an allegory of, you know, when we, when we <laughs> vote for new, when we vote old people out of office into new because we just want to change, you know. Right. There, there, there was something kind of appealing about that idea, but it just... It was just a whole. It was just a big mashup for me in the story, and it didn't. Hmm. It didn't come to anything. It didn't. It didn't make any sense. And Matt Smith did basically save it. Wow. Well, let's move on to the next one. We want to keep this going. We're at like forty six minutes already. So well, okay. that, so that, the that, next that, tends to, that tends to happen. I just want to ask one thing, and this will lead us into our our next question. Okay. What do we think about Amy Pond? We haven't really talked about her. My brother likes her. I like sexy redheads. He says. <laughs> does not surprise me. Well, I, I think I, she's fine at this at this point. You know, I I ended up liking her a lot at this point in the series. There's as we find out, but there's something just kind of weird and off about her. It's too mm-hmm. bad they couldn't just have the kid character doing it the whole time. They've you know, never that, done that. They, that kid, uh, on a side note, is her cousin. Mm. Oh, and has okay. never acted before. Oh, she did, she did great. great, and she was fantastic. Yeah, good for her. No, I like I like Amy Pond. I think she's fine. I think you're I'd right, say- though. At, at this point in the story, we were sort of getting to know... She was sort of likable. There was a kind of uh, bossy quality to her, which which could either go in the annoying direction or the appealing direction, and we hadn't... I hadn't really decided yet. I like they that were- they put her in there without having any other expectations like uh, she's going to be a love interest or she's going to be the love interest that isn't the love interest. They just said, here's a companion. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There were a few moments in the in the early episodes where that, that struck me as a little odd when I first saw them. And in hindsight, you know, when I watched it again, I, I saw those moments and sort of remembered thinking they were 
not I, that I didn't like them in the first time around, but I, they didn't really bother me. Um, so maybe that's it. It just that just had to grow on me, and the character had to build a little bit. The one moment I, I want to highlight though in Beast Below before we leave it that is to me also does encapsulate the important difference between the old regime and the new all around is there's this moment at the end where Amy has done this thing that and the doctor's a little upset with her, but at the same time she was wonderful. And there's this moment that's almost that's set up to almost look like those starry eyed almost kisses with Rose. Mm-hmm. And and the doc but you look at the doctor and he's not starry eyed. He just gives her a great big hug. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. To me, this was, you just nailed it. That was perfect. That's exactly what this, if you're going to go, that's as far as you should go. It was a great uh, visual, too. The, you know, a nice uh, Star Wars homage, I guess, or Empire Strikes Back. Plus, there was a wipe right before that shot, if you, right. if you watch it again. I don't so. think that they should be referencing Star Wars. I know they, it was a little bit more oblique than the, la- the last season they did it in. I'm fine with Oblique. Yeah, I, was, I, I get There it. was at least three Star Wars references in this story. Oh, my but gosh. Yeah, I'm yeah, yeah. irritated with Star Wars in the first place, so I don't want to hear any references in my other <laughs> science fiction. <laughs> so that, that scene you did men- mention, Aaron, was, was indeed very nice. But again, there was a certain, at a, at a certain point, they actually belabored it, like, a little too much. Yes, they like, did. They said last lonely, uh, um, uh, you know, yes. this, but it just made it kind. They said that, like, three times. Yeah, and so they they nailed it. But I, I think they're I think they're changing the tone. It, it seems to be a little bit more like kid oriented, a la like the very first Christopher Eccleston story where they tried to you know throw in you know uh, the the burping garbage can or whatever, oh, like little it's like so- little weird touches like that. This is not the same thing exactly. This is more like. We want to be sure that everybody gets it, so we're gonna we're gonna say it a couple of times. We're gonna wink extra long and loud. Yeah, it's, it's interesting that you you mentioned that aspect and Jess about the uh, sort of body functions and stuff. And that just again, this doctor and this sort of series not not that it's a backlash feeling I was having, but it just sort of threw all of that you know the previous series uh, excesses into sharp relief, like. Mm. You know, plastic Mickey in the first episode, mm-hmm. so over the top and silly, or the you know the burping, can or the farting aliens, or the yeah. this and that. And there's that form of storytelling, and then I think there's what Moffat said, the phrase he used that I loved, uh, dark fairy tale. Like this is very much like a grim, mm-hmm. grim fairy tale sort of style. You know, sort of the darker. Like the night shots in the first episode, you know, or even the music to an extent. Um, but anyway, so. All right. Uh, so episode three, uh, which was called Toy Commercial. Uh, right. <laughs> crap. Excellent. Actually, it wasn't crap. It was just, it was, it seemed to me like, uh, I talked to Aaron about this, that this was a, a, a episode that should have been twice as long. I think they tried to cram too much into it, and it, it fell flat. I thought the whole, um, like, uh, Winston Churchill character was completely irritating and wrong. Uh, because it's a really disappointing characterization and performance. 
really strange. Yeah, and it's, instead of instead of focusing on the story aspect, they said, okay, now let's have the big odds fight in space, which didn't make any sense either. Yeah. Because there were bits of that. That could have been a great episode. They just didn't do it right. Yeah, I agree. I think that's kind of how I felt about the Beast Below in that, actually, if it had been the 60-minute episode, it might have been okay because they could have, like, worked its way into the the issues of the story a little bit smoother, but they had to kind of cram it in. Here, this was, an, this was another story that needed to be spread out because, for me... As soon as I heard the Daleks say, I am your soldier, of mm-hmm. course, I'm thinking of, uh, it's, it's, it, it is a direct reference to Power of the Daleks, which is yeah. the second Doctor, Patrick Troughton's, uh, first story, in which they pretend to be servants of the humans. And they do this over a six episode story. So for six weeks, the Daleks are sitting there scheming. And we know that they're evil creatures, but everyone except the doctor and his friends know that, that they're evil. That, that everyone else think, oh, these are these wonderful machines which they're going to use to help us out. And that's the same idea that they tried here, except for instead of it lasting for six weeks, it lasted for 12 minutes. Right. And that really pissed me off because it was like, if you're going to, if you're going to bring to mind one of the best stories of the classic series, which I believe. Mm-hmm. Oh, and yeah. then you're going to use this device and then throw it away to cr- to create some extremely, you know, yet another obscure reason to bring back the Daleks. You know, they're doing some, you know, craziness with the thing they need the doctor to do some thing to put magic into their magic device. And then all yes, of a sudden on, eh? like they turn into, you know, Technicolor tanks. We um, love our new asses. Testimony, <laughs> testimony received. Yeah, like that. Uh, your that, cookies. That really annoyed me. Like the fact that this took place during the Blitz of London again, <laughs> but the fact that it did it in a completely different way was wasted because it was all about the Daleks turning into the next, uh, the next stage in their evolution, which is such uh, an obsession with this latest series is to have the Daleks be evolving. They turned them into a human last time. Now they're going to turn them into these, you know, big, uh, big, uh, colorful pepper pots. And, and, and I didn't see how that did anything. Well, I think the Dalek people who play them say, you know what? We're striking unless we get lazy boys in these things. I think the, I mean, the, the, the cynic in me says, well, every kid in England has a Dalek toy. They don't, you know, they're not going to buy them. So you can paint them green or put a little Union Jack on them, but they're not going to buy them. Let's make them completely different. <laughs> or it could be just another sort of Stephen Moffat going back and undoing or erasing, you know, a, a Russell Davies element. Like they, were, they made a big point of the shot where the new Dalek ob- obliterates the old one. Yes. Just gone. Goodbye. No more. True. And yet the problem I have with these new ones is that they are so far removed from what we would consider the original models. Yeah. That it would be one thing to go back and and have something that looks somewhat Um, like something from 30 years ago and have it obliterate the new one. But if your whole point is, and, and also, I just don't think they're a good design. I think there's bits of it that are good design. I think the, um, the new little head thing on it is okay. 
I, I think the way they did the sort of venting, I think that was sort of interesting. I think there were some good ideas in there, but they just it didn't come together right. Maybe I don't particularly like the eye. I assume it's it's uh, I assume it's designed to flip around like the uh, like the new series Daleks did, where like the top half can rotate and mm. turn around. I assume it's designed to do that, though we didn't get to see that. Um, but yeah, they, they just look like just big tanks. They're not nearly as interesting, I think, as, the, as they as they have been. Uh, here it says, within Doctor Who, Dialect fandom, the new Dialect redesign has not gone down well at all. We should, I should also note that this series was operating on a lower budget than in oh, the past. Oh, I didn't, I didn't know that. Really? And so, and it, it showed, I mean, I think it was handled very clever, you know, like you have to balance your effects and set dressing, but I thought the Dalek spaceship just looked like an, an art gallery. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I agree with yeah. you. It wasn't great. That was not good. Yeah, I just didn't think this story did the Daleks any good, and I wish that the Daleks could could have a story where the, I mean, a story where the the stakes aren't quite so high. I, I wish they could do. I mean, that's what I liked about the story that this was, I guess, homaging power of the Daleks. All the Daleks were trying to do was get power, and then they were going to destroy a little colony. They weren't trying to do anything like, you know, reinvent themselves. They weren't trying to move the Earth uh, to the other side of the uh, universe. They weren't trying to do anything crazy. I, I, I wouldn't mind a little bit of smaller scale. I think I've talked about that before. Smaller scale would work a, a lot better. Uh, what about the Spitfires in space? Dumb. Dumb, okay. dumb idea. Dumb idea. Yeah. You know, Not an interesting okay. visual? It, it could have been done well, but it wasn't. Well, and it well, also wasn't set up very well in the story. I mean, it, no, it wasn't. This it is, was, and th- that was my particular <clears throat> problem with it. It would be one thing if we've been developing these and they've been all ready to go, and now we're going to do it. Well, no, they weren't developed and they weren't all ready to go. It's just the robot suddenly says, "Hey, we can do this." <laughs> <laughs> Come on. Yeah. Oh, and, and curing the robot with love. Don't blow up. Use love. I could have done without that. Mm, I guess they're just giving Amy another chance to shine. Well, you know, I know whenever anything wrong is going to blow up around my house, I just go love at it and nothing blows up. I did like the way they handled him letting the robot escape. That was funny. I liked that. Yeah. Well, I think we all agree that it could have been better and it was sort of a waste of the Daleks again. But I mean, I remember thinking, and again, this would get addressed as the series goes on. I said, this is the most ridiculous premise for, you know, these soldiers in this war to go fly into space and handle it very matter of factly. You know, all the people in the war office communicating. Red Five standing by. Yes, and actually, so this supposedly happened. Well, what's going on? But, you know, like we did mention it, like the previous episode ended. As the TARDIS leaves, there's the camera just kind of zooms into the crack and, you know, <laughs> tells the audience, did you happen to see this? <laughs> There it is. Should we go to the next one? Sure. Yeah, I guess so. I wish better for the Daleks because I still love them. At that point, I was like, you know what? I think I don't need to watch this. 
I was I was kind of feeling that way, although the next episode featured right yeah, and, the, and the angels. I and, had, we had hopes for that. Well, and and really, if if the portrayal of the Doctor had been less successful at this point, mm-hmm. I think I would have stopped watching. Yeah, actually, Matt Smith was fun to watch in the Dalek story, like you know, hitting the Daleks and you know, trying to force them to. <laughs> That, that bluffing, was cool. I like that. bluffing his way with a jammy whatever, jammy dodger, <laughs> jammy dodger. Jammy, that's right. That, I love that. That was good, you know. And, but even it's it's more than that because some of that's just writing stuff. I mean, just the way that he pulls it off though is very successful, and it 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 made me hope and think. Okay, when he gets some good stories, we're really going to get rolling here, right. and I think that they did. So with that lead in. With Adley, yeah. It's a great The leader. time of angels. Mm. Okay. So Stephen Moffat said, if Blink was alien, the story was aliens. Mm. Yeah. So, first thing I have to say, yet another of my continual gripes with the series, the first five or ten minutes is ridiculous. <laughs> I can't stand why they have to create these over-the-top scenarios to get these two together. What's the point? It makes it, it just stretches credulity so far that, and it has nothing to do with what's to come. Like, they had to come up with something completely crazy just so they would get together in the first place. Oh, and then the real story could start. Just come on, simplify. I, I really wish they didn't have to do all that bullshit, and it's bullshit. There. I, did, I didn't feel that way at all. Okay. I, wow. I'm, I'm surprised I, you would I, say that. I just, I, I wasn't interested until they arrived at the planet. I wasn't interested. Really? What did you again? Refresh my memory. She, uh, she's on a, she's on some spaceship. She's wearing high heels and a nice dress. She is stealing some. Oh, that thing. Yeah. Okay. You're right. She all right. Arranges for the TARDIS to the black box. Yeah. Nice. She's got some black box. She is. Stealing the black box, she arranges for the TARDIS to be right outside the airlock, which she blows herself out of, <laughs> lands through the TARDIS doors, and then then the, the, the then the show actually begins. But I mean, come on, I, I'm sorry, I just that I don't I don't like that I don't like these elements of the show where it has to be something so absurd that gets and I and I'm a big fan of absurdity. Trust me. This was not. This did not uh, do it for me. I think that's. What I think that's why I liked it. It was so audacious. Like she's going to crash the ship, and the black box in the ship that she destroyed, you know, is is the message to say, "Come get me." Yeah. Now, so like to like that's like you're standing in a building and you're going to blow up the building, and you send a message. That, I mean, I thought that was great. She she is a bit of an outrageous character, though, uh, and in a way that, in the same way that I felt Captain Jack was, that bigger than, so big that it it's it strains your credulity. Yeah, well, she wasn't until this story. I don't think I didn't feel that Silence of the Library or the other one, uh, Forest of Thing, uh, I can't remember the name of it. Of the dead. Uh, thank you. I didn't think, I didn't feel like she was 
that over the top. Like, I, I guess we've now established that she has this past and we'll eventually understand that the doctor and her have some sort of relationship, but it's never clear because they never meet in the right order, which is an intriguing idea. Oh, I think that's an, a good idea. Uh, yes. I mean, but I feel the same way about, say, Captain Jack, where in the first story, I didn't feel he was over the top. I felt it was actually played very interesting. Right. Uh, that this was a, a a character that was intriguing to me. But then as it was, as the character was developed, it just sort of became this. I'm John Barrowman. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> I'm going to ride the TARDIS to wherever this next planet is. I meant just so I could John see Barrowman. him. <laughs> All right. So anyway, I, you know, I, I understand. I, it's like, I don't know if the word is like smugness or what. I, I, I yeah. think I get what you're going for. Okay. It makes one think of sort of the mid-70s James Bond movies with Roger Moore. Ugh. You know, where... <laughs> where these really... Where they wild... try to mix in the Dukes of Hazard. Yes, but... And, 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 and these... Well, even some of the later James Bonds as well, where things have just become so outrageous that it, it's difficult to accept that this is simultaneous, that... that on the one hand, these things are happening. On the other hand, we're supposed to take what happens later very seriously. Right. Um, and I, now this one, I, to me, this did work. I got over that. It was fine. But, yeah, I got to be honest, that first few minutes I kind of went, oh, my goodness, what are they doing? <laughs> Quite. But then, uh, but then you get into it, and they, they're all together. And I like that, you know, yeah, there's a... This story that they're pulled in, I liked how the soldiers all turned out to be priests. I love, I love that. that. Yeah, that was a nice I touch. Love that. And uh, I liked having Amy ask all the questions that people have been asking since season four. Is that Mrs. Doctor? She's your wife, isn't she? What's going on? You know. Yeah, she's insane. good for that. She doesn't. And, she doesn't beat around the bush. She's right. good for that. Just to get to it, because how many people were wondering that? You know, certainly mm-hmm. I was, and then. His just his response like I don't know, you know, uh, and then to get into it and to make the angels scary again, yeah, yeah. and that good. I love that scene with the videotape. I me I, too. I jumped. Yeah. That was one of the that was a very well executed. Sure was. I really like that. Or right, is there a difference of opinion here? Is it no, a little I bit? Agree. A little no, bit. Joe. I I don't know. I'm just. The angels seem like something that shouldn't be a recurring character to me. They shouldn't be bigger than what they were before. It seem, it, it just seemed kind of, I don't know. Anybody try shooting them while they were stone? See, yeah, see what happens? Did they? I don't know. Yes, they did repeatedly. Did they? <laughs> did did yeah. you watch the episode? Or I have. <laughs> not, not for like three or four months. Yes, I, they it did. Just, I guess I it just seems to me that you know, the, I don't know. I I thought that they were better as a one-off monster that, you know, stood on its own rather than bringing them back again. And I didn't really understand the whole thing where it was like, it had the friendly warning him that they were coming thing. Hey, guess what? We're coming. So, you know, you might want to get yourself ready because here we come. Oh, you mean Bob? Yeah, the Bob thing, I didn't really think that was 
Um, well, that, yeah. was, that was odd because that seemed to be borrowed from Silence of the Library, which was a completely different uh, yeah. enemy. So yeah. that that I found like, wait a second, which which enemy are we facing here? I, I actually kind of confused the two for a bit. I didn't get that on the first viewing why they would have done that, and then um, when I watched it again recently, it did actually. There's a couple moments in there where it does start to make sense where. He at one point he asks, you know, why are why are you making your count backwards? And basically he flat out says to terrify her. And that what what the what the Bob character is doing is in its own mind, it's it's playing with them and tormenting them, letting them making them think they are extremely powerless and we're going to get you and, and playing up that fear in them. Now, the reason it doesn't work is because of course the show is Doctor Who and you know, we all know what's going to happen because <laughs> nobody know. knew that a cartoon Graham Norton would appear over the final seconds of the exciting cliffhanger to do a little <laughs> dance. <laughs> yeah, that was, was shocking, wasn't it? But, <laughs> and I didn't it. see that. But I mean, I, I mean, I think you have a point, Joe, in that it, it, it does because of that in a different in a show where we didn't know that it, when it isn't a melodrama where we know that the the main characters are going to survive. Well, then this character tormenting them might be a little more impactful. But when we know that, you know, he does this and, and the next thing the doctor is going to shoot the anti-gravity thing. And, you know, it's somehow it will all be fine that it does undercut that somewhat. But right. I at least, but the second time I watched, it, I at least got why, what the purpose of that was. And, I, but I didn't catch that really on the first oh. one. But that being said, these two episodes were the ones that made me decide to keep watching. Yeah, I was oh, I was feeling I was feeling at this point the same way I was feeling in uh, in season three with Martha. The first half of the season was kind of like okay, um, waiting for what the magic, and I kind of I was I was okay with what was happening before this, but again, some disappointments. This was good. I didn't entirely feel like. The series really got going until a little bit later, but these two stories I, I did really enjoy and I found very, uh, very uh, tense. Right, and again, Matt Smith with some great moments, like you know what we mm -hmm. now know was his future self coming in that quiet scene he has with Amy, trying to reassure her and then get yeah. her to to focus. Um, and then again, turning on a dime and get getting really angry at uh, River Song who keeps cutting down his ideas. When he's trying to yes. reason, and he goes, "Well, what what do you have?" You know, mm -hmm. and just shutting her up, saying, "Yeah, if you're, if you're not going to help, shut up." So, which is great, which is a great moment. That said, I didn't like the. I actually, you know, we joke about the Graham Norton thing, but I didn't like the cliffhanger. To oh, the uh, right, and, and and not because I didn't like the situation. I thought the situation was set up great. It, it is. It's this. That speech. Yes. Is was a David Tennant speech. Yeah. It was yes. Good. And no matter, no matter how he delivers it, it, it's it comes across as look at me, I'm the greatest. Unless you take it in context with how they uh, they turned it around him in the end, it's almost like they were setting him up for a fall with that. Well, I agree, but but the trouble is 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 when you've just come off of three years of that to the point of, you know, nausea, really. Right. <laughs> Do you really want me to get nauseated by this as well? 
Yeah. And I, and I was, quite honestly. I, I was really enjoy- I remember watching this and really enjoying the episode. And then we got to that and he had that speech and I went, oh, come on. Right. Yeah, I didn't think it was necessary either. Those are the sort of lines that made Torchwood kind of not watchable for me. That's, <laughs> yes. that sort of writing. Yeah. Yes. But I thought the reveal in the in the Pandorica thing was was awesome. Well, it? I agree. That's why well, when well, we get let, let's get there. Yeah. All right. Well, let's move on then. Ready? So wait, uh so oh. hang on. So this episode we didn't mention it before like the previous ones kind of has a direct carryover where they go back to her house the oh, wedding and he explains all that. And then she tries to jump him and we have another companion that is in love with him and he just says, "No, this is not happening." Uh, let's go get your boyfriend or your fiance. Right. But she also, she also, she also uh, twists that a little bit too, because it quickly becomes clear that she, she doesn't want to fall. She isn't falling in love with the doctor. She just wants to shag him. Oh yes, that is true. So it, it is a little different. Well, something but, for uh, the kids, you know, want. Yes, of course. <laughs> Uh, maybe we'll get that, that, uh, floor tile to make a cameo. Which actually was my objection to it. I mean, I, I, on the one hand, I was, I was glad they were making the point that this was different, that this was a different doctor. And we, we aren't going to have any of that anymore. And also, I, you know, that, that there was that difference there in how she was reacting. But at the same time, I, I just thought, again, yeah, yeah, you know, I, I view this show fundamentally as a show for 8 to 10-year-olds. <laughs> Maybe I shouldn't, but, I mean, that, that's, <laughs> that's, that's the age at which I started watching this show. Okay. That's the age at which, uh, when, you know, uh, when, Back when I had a stepdaughter, that's the age at which I showed her this show. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the age at which I intend to show my daughter this show. And that's one of those moments where I start to go, <laughs> because it was because it was really taken too far. It could have been done, and you could have made that point with less. And I just thought it was too much. And maybe that's, maybe that's me being, you know, an American prude, but you know, it's, uh, I, I just, I did. <laughs> that's true. What the English think is inappropriate is slightly different from what we think. Is. Yeah, but, it's true. It's true. But, but I still think for an eight year old, it's, well, you remember in England, you can walk down the thing and there's postcards with boobies on them right on. But I don't mind nudity. Yeah. This is between nudity and, you know. This is, a, this is a woman sex. who's going to get married the next day. And right. There's there's a lot of. I think it was more about showing how she wasn't quite sure about it. Yeah. But there's a, yeah. but again, that could have been done with less. And we would have gotten the point. And I would, and I think a lot of people would have been less uncomfortable with it. Hmm. Um, okay. Oh, the other, I mean, one more, one last thing, uh, River Song seeds another element of the season saying the, you know, you'll see me again when the Pandorica opens. So that kind of ominous. Yes. So we start to get to know more about the crack, which appears in the ship. And, yes. Uh, and what's, 
what that's about. In fact, it is the method to vanquish the angels. Bum, 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 bum. Thank you. Um, <laughs> I wish you had that set up for, you know, if you could play that in. I, I wish I could, but my new computer just isn't set up to record system sounds. It's kind of... I was, tr- I was trying to earlier because I had that cue, but uh, I couldn't get it to go. Yeah. There was another uh, little continuity thing here, which I found interesting. The mention of the fact that the Cyber King appeared in Victorian okay. London. Ah, no yes, yes, yes. I, I was going to mention that. Thank you. Thank that you. was an interesting little point. And I was like, oh, they're going to make a little patch there for that. Because we, uh, we had talked about that. That was our exact critique. Yeah. Especially, I remember Aaron specifically talking. Yes. Do you suppose they listen to us? <laughs> yes. <laughs> but I also, I also took it as, as a very wonderful dig. <laughs> yeah, I did too. Ah, could, you're right, you're right. <laughs> that, just to p- pointing out how ridiculous that was. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> so, that was good. That was good. I mean, and, and if we've, we've already mentioned three or four ways in which Moffat has kind of gone out of his way to refute or revise major right. aspects of what had happened. And and while I, you know, that's a kind of a slippery slope if every producer, you know, does that to the previous producer, but at, <laughs> yes. But at some point this was really necessary because things were getting really out of hand. And yeah. and I I think it's I was glad to see it. I wouldn't mind talking about one other thing before we leave this set of stories. There's a couple of times, actually, I think there's twice in this these two episodes, where the doctor admits that he's made a huge mistake. Hmm. We don't always get the doctor doing that sort of thing, or like sort of admitting it. If he if he's made a mistake, he sort of like you know moves to say so, but he's actually sort of admitting it. I don't know right. what, what y'all make of that, but uh, I found it cool. an interesting little character element is that he, this happened twice, you know, when he brought them into the cave and then all of a sudden he realized that yes. they're all angels. <laughs> and then the second time he made a mistake when he left Amy in the forest and then she has to walk with her eyes closed. Mm-hmm. Right. No, I think um, that's a good thing to do to kind of, kind of make him more accessible. Yeah. Yeah. And like Brian was saying before, he's always like, I'm the lonely God. Right. He's, he's, the oncoming <laughs> storm doesn't make yeah. mistakes, you know. Yeah. <laughs> it's nice to bring him down to size a little bit, even though these uh, mistakes could end with the deadly danger towards his companion. Oh, so. All right. So now we go back and we pick up uh, Rory, who we yeah. didn't even mention right. the first time around. Vampires of Venice. Right. So Rory is... Uh, Amy's uh, fiance, who's a nurse, and if you're uh, confused about it, they had the shirt on him for it. I loved everything about that—that that stupid shirt and the party and the way the doctor <laughs> made it. The way the doctor made his entrance, explaining that the stripper was diabetic. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yes. And, yeah, he's got. Uh, he's he, the doctor. This Matt Smith has a a line in beautiful awkwardness that the yeah. English seem to have. You know from Ricky Gervais in the office to oh, yeah. the wonderful awkwardness of these things when you just know you've done the wrong thing. And I, and I love that. And that's like going back to what I said, like just an, like alien, like does not get it. And it's exactly. like, just comes like, Hey, you're 
Beyonce's a great kisser, and everyone just like, <laughs> they're like, you know, they're, like, they're, like they're about to t- attack him. Or cry, you know? <laughs> like, <laughs> like, they couldn't process what had just happened. And to go into the title sequence from that, I think, was inspired. Yeah, you know, as opposed to, you know, some kind of crazy action sequence, just like, hey, that is, I shouldn't have said any of that. And then the theme song starts. <laughs> That's the kind of pre, uh, pre story scene I really enjoy. And that, that gets me interested in the, in the stories. Yeah, I thought it was, uh, it was great. And I think it was Croatia doubling for Venice. I think it was. Was it? Yeah. Because oh, yeah, it, it, again, budget wise, it's cheap. Uh, speak, speaking of things, uh, usually it's you guys like, oh, did you see that crazy actor that I know and I'm so awesome and that's not what I mean. <laughs> I'm too awesome. I know. That's not like us, Joe. Yeah. That's usually, I mean, that's my All right, but I get it this time because the, the, um, the father in this one, uh, is the guy from, uh, the number one ladies detective agency. Oh, okay. Show. And I was like, oh, hey, I know somebody. Hey. Yeah. I mean, I knew I'd seen that actor before. I, I couldn't remember if he'd been in anything in Doctor Who before, but, uh, mm-hmm. the, uh, the number one detective's agency, uh, was a great show that got canceled in a sad way. Like the, the producer guy died and the other one said, man, we just don't feel like it, even though it was awful. Oh. And it was, they said, man, maybe we'll make a movie if it isn't too much work. I just couldn't believe how much work it was to put a successful TV show. So maybe we'll do a movie instead or maybe not, but it's, it's too bad because all the actors in that were just perfect. And Patterson Joseph was in that too, right? Um, he was in the, he was in the first series. And rumored at one point to be, he was going to be the not, 11th doctor. That's yes. right. There was talk about that. Anyway, anyway, it was, it was a shame. Well done, Joe, for recognizing him. But at least he's he's moving on. Mm-hmm. I guess overall for this episode, I mean, I thought it was a, a a a you know a nice average mid-season episode. You know, I, I've I've said you know, I said this in some of our previous discussions that I don't expect every episode to be outstanding. My expectation is is that every episode be at least kind of solid. Mm-hmm. You know that it's that even if it's just sort of a mid-season filler episode, that it's it, it's just reasonably well-written, reasonably well-made, reasonably enjoyable. And if it's not something that's great, that's okay. Just don't be disappointed. Right. And, I, you know, I was worried about this one being disappointed, and I really wasn't. I thought it, it was it, – it, but, but it wasn't great. It was just one of those sort of solid, this is fine. Right. I it's, accept this. <laughs> it's what one of the throwaway episodes should be like, as opposed, yeah. it wasn't dumb, it wasn't awesome, it was just, it was I an thought, uh, I thought it had a lot of, uh, well-timed humor, like the opening scene, like we talked about. Yeah. I love the image of William Hartnell's doctor registering for a library card. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. That is fun. I, lo- <laughs> I loved everything about that. <laughs> and I loved, uh, <laughs> I loved, uh, tell me the whole plan. And one day that's going to work. <laughs> one day that's going <laughs> to Yeah, this, this, this actually really a lot of great writing in this story. I must admit that the first time I watched this one, I actually felt very similar to the beast below with this one. I right. didn't, I didn't actually enjoy it very much. Uh, I didn't appreciate 
and I thought Joe would not have enjoyed the fish from space, eh. which were actually called fish from space in the story. And it, I didn't think that kind of, you know, being able to reduce their description to that. But they actually a, a tried, though. They actually tried. Usually when they do, like, an animal an analog, they just say, okay, it's a rhino. But this, they actually tried to make it look kind of creepy. True, true. Yeah, but no, I, I can appreciate that. I, I say all this because watching it again just today, I was you know getting ready for tonight's uh, discussion, and I watched uh, uh, um, actually just about all of them, uh, and I felt a lot better about it. I think it was because I got more into the interaction of the Doctor and with Rory and Amy. I found that actually very much enjoy, enjoyable, mm-hmm. particularly because Rory soon became at home in the TARDIS, and he became, I mean, he was a bit of a dolt, but he was a lo- lovable dolt, and he, you know, wanted to protect Amy, and... and uh, he was sort of like a Jamie character. A little bit. I mean, not as, not as, like, butch as Jamie tried to be, but, yeah, along those lines. Yeah. I liked, I liked, I mean... We didn't really mention his first appearance. I wasn't particularly impressed with him, and I thought, oh, it's going to be, you know, Mickey 2. And Mickey <laughs> took long. You know, I didn't. Yeah, actually. I did not care for Mickey until uh, Doomsday. But then with Rory, I liked him right away. I think and I, I was very sympathetic toward him with that bachelor party scene and yeah, his that, reaction. I think that's I, what brought us brought it in. And then by know. the time he's really trying, you know, like, this is what you get, you know, he's trying to learn what, you know, Amy's had the secret life that's lasted for several weeks, you know, but for him, you know, just a couple of hours and he's trying to pick up on that and see how he's he fits to, in. Yeah, exactly. Trying to and find like, place and trying, trying to, you know, participate in a, in a duel and hold oh, his own with the broom. You know, or whatever. <laughs> there was that beautifully timed moment where. I forget. I forget exactly what happens, but like somehow the 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 broom. He's fighting the 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 um, he's fighting the the vampire chap with a with a broom or whatever. I forget exactly what happens. Cut to a split second to a chicken clucking. Yeah. <laughs> I, I laughed so hard when I saw that again today. And like he, he, that made him really lovable to me. Like, that was perfect. Like I, like I said, I mean, the humor in this episode is really surprising and great. It was, mm-hmm. it was, it was a, it was a gem, like a little gem. Yeah, I do kind of miss the old days when they always, when they had more than one companion throughout the whole season. Sometimes that's just I, that's just hard to write for, I think, and people I, get. Lazy. I know, but there's so much more you can do with it if you're talented. Sure. Sometimes, I have mean, fun. at times <laughs> they had, at times they had three companions, and that right. was actually really hard to write for. It just didn't work. Right. Oh, so this is sick. Let's just keep her in the TARDIS and exactly. sleep in a coma for three episodes. Yeah. Oh, Jamie's oh, sick. We'll leave him in the moon. Well, <laughs> <laughs> anyway, the, the the thing with the Vampires of Venice is that at this point, I was ready to go along with what they were showing me. Okay. Because think, the, the oh, beginning, right, right, I'll finish my thought real quick. But in the beginning with the 11th hour and the Beast Blow and the Victory of the Dogs, like, oh, God. You know, yeah. even if. Even if it would have been in a different order, I might have been like, oh, okay. But because it would start off not so great for me, and then it wasn't so great again, and then it just wasn't so great again, I was like, oh, never mind. But after the next two, I was like, okay, you know, they're 
they're they're entertaining me now, so they could kind of pull back a little bit on the throttle, and I'd be okay. You know, I, have, I yeah, and I just and I was so taken by the the visuals of this of the series so far. I think you know, like I said, they had a smaller budget, but full credit to that production team for stretching it really far and just yeah. picking good locations and balancing things like. I, I got that, like, the first season seemed like we were at the apartment complex every other episode, you know, or in a, or in a studio. <laughs> that's right, that's right. And just to go to Croatia and run around outside and just get that different sort of scenery or, you know, the claustrophobic spaceship, you know, they do that. They've done that a couple episodes. But, you know, even the strange planet where the angels are, the idea of a forest spaceship. <laughs> yeah. You know, really, Oops. some interesting... Well, because that's that is an actual good idea to have a force and a spaceship to create the atmosphere. Oh, oh that's yeah. kind of cool. So anyway, um, but this oh. episode ends with another uh, a different reference to this time, not necessarily the crack, but the silence. Which is oh yeah, sort of separate thing. Because oh, one, this, this particular race says they are running from that. It destroyed their world apparently. The planet Saturnine, which is kind of a bit of a waggish. Uh, choice, but... Why is that? Because Saturnine means... Uh, well, it has to do with lead, and lead poisoning, but it also, what was the other... Um, Saturnine means kind of morose and um, ah, kind of the way vampires are um, are portrayed in this time in our lives. They're kind of all pale, pale and rather moody and, you know, Twilighty. Yes, exactly so. And Saturnine <laughs> is actually a perfect word for that. Frankenpout, my my brother calls it. <laughs> the guy, <laughs> the, the guy from Twilight. Nice one. <laughs> I like that. Um, oh, one last thing about why the fish didn't bother me. Because they were uh, they were appropriate to the setting. You know, it's Venice with the canals. You know, you got sure. a fish to build that live in the water. It makes sense. Fair enough. Yeah. Whereas before it's like, hey, it's an alien. Guess what he looks like? What? A rhino. Why? Because, you know, whatever. Anyway. Though I did find that the final scene where the woman, I didn't catch her name, because um, uh, things got kind of glossed over. Because I, I don't get, didn't really get anybody's name of the fish creatures. Right. Um, she, sacri- like, I don't know, if she, she, I guess she kills herself. Yeah. She, yes. Yeah. Feeds herself her. to the people she was trying to their her people she was trying to you know keep alive, right. and she chastises with the doctor for allowing another race to die. Where she could have just not jumped in the pool and would have been that fine. kind of fell flat for me. Yeah, it did for me too. It seemed like you know you don't have to kill yourself. Uh huh. Like, you know yeah, you could. But we get it's forty five minutes. We like, we got to wrap it up and. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I speaking can't, of like, ra- speaking of wrapping it up, did you notice how the doctor solved the problem? He found the off switch. <laughs> <laughs> yes, 45 minutes was just about right. Well, let's move on. All right. Uh, it was not until Amy's Choice that I felt really good about the series. Mm. Amy's Choice was probably, I'd have to think about it before I say this, Amy's Choice is probably my favorite episode of the season. Mm. This, uh, I, 
it, it definitely it's definitely up there. I don't know if it was the best for me, but uh, I liked all the bits in the TARDIS. Oh yeah, yes, yes absolutely. I thought the alternate Doctor was great, and uh, not so great about the zombie villagers. Oh, they were fun because they were old. Oh, <laughs> that's the whole point. Because they, they get to whack, they get to whack them. They get to whack these seventy, eighty year old people. It's it's wonderful. Yeah, it was all right. <laughs> it didn't bother me. It was it was. I I felt the same way about the old people as I do about like the scarecrows walking them. Except having them walk at them slowly with walkers and things. I it was sort of tongue in cheek about how their monsters usually are to me. So uh, not, not in retrospect, I'm taking that back. I thought it was hilarious. Okay, good. Yeah, I, I quite like this episode as well. Although it. I don't know. It, there's just certain. There was just enough about it that it wasn't great for me. It was just another good. I mean, not not just sort of solid like the vampire one was, but I mean, this was good. But it wasn't. It didn't reach those levels that say Blink did, or that you know that, that you would you know some of the old stories. That, it, it's what I want him to be doing. On the one hand, there are stories like these. But there were just enough of it just didn't quite work for me, especially some of the Amy Rory stuff. But what did you think about the alternate doctor? I let, the alternate doctor was all right with me. The um, dream lord. The dream right. lord, yes. That was all right. I, I thought that was well done. Yeah. I, and they I, picked I, a great actor for him, too. Yes, yeah, sure yes, did. yes, they did. But when he first arrives and Amy's pregnant and they're I mean, I, I don't know. Some of that just didn't work for me very well. And, and I know it kind of supposed to be strange, but it, that's where I felt there were some difficulties. The rest of it I thought was, was I, I thought it was a great idea. And I thought, I want them to be doing this. Keep it up, practice it a little bit more and we'll get better. You know, <laughs> it's kind of how I felt. <laughs> but I mean, I, yeah. Uh, it's Sorry. still one of still one of the best two three episodes of the season. I mean, it was. I thought the acting carried this, you know, all the way through. You know, Smith was great, but uh, what's it? Arthur Darville who plays Rory that sounds right. that was sounds right. was you know really good. You know, at sort of you know dream induced Rory kind of realizing you know, the life he wants versus the life he has. And I thought Karen Gillan was very funny as super pregnant Amy with waddling around with this, yes. you know, prosthesis. And like even that first scene where she thinks she's going into labor and Rory, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. she, you know, and she's great. I mean, I don't know. Did you guys realize she was in the fourth season as a, as a secondary character? What? She uh, was one of the, uh, Priestesses of Pompeii. Yes. Good Lord, really? Yeah, yes. she's the one spying on the Doctor and Donna. Yes. Oh, my Lord. Yeah, so for her to come from that, you know, to turn out this great performance, I, I, re- I really enjoyed it. I thought she was, she was very funny and the whole, the whole Dream Lord concept was great. I, Joe and I had traded emails. I was reminded of the Valyard. So was I. Especially yeah. that, you know, that line of, you know, nobody hates me more than you, you know, <laughs> which was great. Yeah. yeah, I really enjoyed a lot of what was going on. I liked the flipping between the two worlds with that strange uh, 
the bird call that was yeah. that was the signal to fall asleep, which was really strange. It was really all the more effective when in that one spot where it only affected the doctor and Rory and Amy was left by herself. They yes. were in the they were in the village dream world and she was still asleep and Rory had to carry her up the stairs. I, I found that was really effective when they weren't all affected at the same time. Yes. I like I really like the character of, of the Dream Lord. Actually, I was thinking uh, until this, even the second time I watched it, when I didn't quite remember how it what it turned out the Dream Lord was. I was thinking like, is this the Celestial Toy Maker? Is this right. the guy from the Mind Robber? Like I, I thought like it could there were el- there were characters from the classic series that I thought oh this it could actually be somebody like that, but. And I don't know if it's necessarily the Valyard or whatever, but it's definitely the Doctor. So it's it's a re- I thought that was really nicely done. I really found the the writing to be strong. Oh um, yeah, especially as regards uh, the Dream Lord's kind of harsh critique of the Doctor with his companions and what that is about for him. He was kind Which of is really very scary, actually. Yeah. Yeah. And just because, like, you, that position of, like, you're not going to win this, you know? Like, if you die in the dream, you die in reality. And ask me what happens if you die in reality. And again, uh, I just, just enjoyed the, the, even though it was a strange kind of menace, I enjoyed the menace of these old people with these creatures inside them and then having to, like, be very strangely violent with them and knocking them out was mm-hmm. funny and scary at the same time to me. <laughs> yeah, with Rory not wanting to hit him. Yeah, I can't <laughs> do it. And the, uh, concept, the concept of killing yourself to get out. Yeah. Was very, very dark. Huh? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. let's go to the next ones then. I think Aaron has something to say about the next set. <laughs> the next two, huh? Yeah, I think we'll let you start. Oh, you have strong feelings. Okay, you you guys had, yeah. I, I think some of you were more negative about Beast Below and, and the Dalek story than I was. I I thought they were subpar, but I could kind of go with it. These were the two episodes that, and particularly the second episode. Um, that I just, I, I thought it was all wrong, and I, I thought the first the first episode was all right, but the second second episode I just thought, why are you doing this? Why, I, why? You know, it just it made no sense to me to be going down this type of road with this series when it it seems like you're trying to set something different up, and it it, it was not very well, not very well which, done. Aaron, I was which, so, I was, which, oh, I'm sorry, Brian, let me sorry. just ask. Cold, which, hungry, which, hunger, which, cold blood with the, uh, I, I liked the first episode, kind of. But, but in, in that, when things are in the shadows, when there is a hidden menace, when there is, uh, you know, sure. things being sucked in, you can't, you know, you're always going to have some, that, that's not a bad thing to have those types of things. But as soon as it became clear it was the Silurians, as soon as it was Silurians that didn't look like Silurians, and as soon as that was explained away by the Doctor, it really started to be problems. And, you know, I, it, the fact that you've got this very small cast as well, it didn't, it, it never felt right. And then you got to the second episode where 
Now we're down with the Silurians. And it became this very, very juvenile story. I mean, it's the type of thing that I, I would expect, you know, a 16 year old fan to write. Uh, it's oh. not, yeah, because I mean, it's that basic. It's, yeah. I, there was no depth here. Everything was very superficial and, and the, it's very predictable as well. I mean, we've got, this the bad Silurian and the good Silurian, and we've got, and then the humans are going to sit down and, and representatives of the human race are going to debate it, and yeah, it was just it was not good. And by the end of it, I I sat there thinking, I can't believe that Moffat let this through. I can't believe he put that guy on the writer's list because I really don't like his writing. And, and so, I mean, I, you know, and, and it was just frustrating to me. It was a very frustrating episode because I thought, why do you need to bring these, these, these monsters back? If you are going to bring these monsters back, what is the purpose and the point of bringing them back? And there didn't seem to be any. And what little there was was squandered. And, the whole second episode was just this mishmash that I, I didn't understand why. What what was the story here to tell? What was this? What was the purpose of telling me this story? And I didn't get it. And uh, then Rory and then Rory dies for the second time in two stories. I like I liked how they killed him. <laughs> yes. Which, but, you know, I actually like the fact that Rory died. I mean, that, that's fine. I just wish there would have been another story in between the fake Rory death and the real Rory death for me. Yes. The, 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 that just felt really weird to me. I thought the real Rory death in this one I thought was really well done. But Yeah, it was about the only thing I liked in that episode. <laughs> it, yeah. Although I'm, I have it on while I'm trying to have the flashbacks. You have a lot of flashbacks, but uh, no, I thought that was really good. But you're right, Aaron. The second half where they go down is like, well, well, I guess we're just gonna have to kill all of us, and then they go back into the cages for later. Seemed kind of, I don't know. It, like you said, it seemed kind of like a 16 year old fandom. Why would but, you know, <laughs> I, keep, I kept coming back to why did you tell me this story? It's it's so funny you say 16-year-old fandom. I don't know if I've mentioned this in another podcast, but it's written by Chris Chibnall. Yes, I and there's a very famous clip of uh, the writers of Trial of a Time Lord, Pip and Jane Baker. They're on some kind of BBC you know, audience feedback, like points of view type show where people can talk to you know people that work at the BBC. And so they have Pip and Jane on and they have the members of the Doctor Who Appreciation Society. <laughs> and they they get I it, that was Yeah, and you can get on they get they just like rip it to shreds and oh ouch. Like, a young Chris Chibnall is there like looking awkward in his shirt and tie and jacket saying, you know, I just think the writing isn't very good, you know, if you know you can't write well and blah just tearing the hell out of their writing to their face and they're sitting there like Jesus. And so for this guy to go on and write the Shortwood episode called Cyberwoman, which was awful. And then like to deliver this, you know, 
monstrosity. You know, I just think it's like. <laughs> but I, I, you can find that clip on YouTube, and he's just like a total smug, you know, a jerk nerd. A jerk, a total jerk nerd, but it's like, oh. yeah. Well, and I want to touch you on something that Jess said much, much earlier, which was that this was also the story that really referenced the, the season seven Pertwee stuff. And, oh. and in and of itself, that is not a bad thing because the, I happen to love that, that, that yes. season. And so much was done well there. The problem is, is it was like they took those ideas and then they proceeded to do them not very well and for very little point. Mm. Whereas I felt in, in those with, with Inferno and with Silurian's original story, I felt I was, when you watch those, feel like you're being told a story that I understand why you're telling me this story. This is a very interesting story. It's, 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 even though those are both seven episodes long, yeah. which is, you know, this is a, this is the equivalent of an old four parter. So this, you know, even though those are almost twice as long as this story, they're much more compelling. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And this story Almost, this is almost reverse of what we said about some of the other stories that maybe if this could have been trimmed down and the scale on this reduced significantly, this could have been a one episode thing, get in, get out and be done with it. It might have worked, but it's that whole second episode that really just drags this down. It, you kind of got yourself in a position where what were you going to do with this? You know? Yeah. It was a weird change of form from the past seasons where there would be two two-parters. And I always found the second one was always the stronger one. Yes. Yeah. Oh, that's, that's true. And this one was the, it was the reverse. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I don't have a lot to say about it except, uh, the budget cuts were clear because it's hard to act when you're wearing a mask. So they had the Silurians, you know, be, you know, basically have these humanoid faces. Yeah, that, that made then, me sad. But then, but then they couldn't afford to do that for everyone, so they came up with this contrivance. Well, they all, all everyone else was wearing a mask, and so they could just have the same mask on every other character without having to do all the money or spend all the money for the makeup on those faces. Mm. They should have just had them all wear masks then. Make that their head. I thought, was, I thought it was a cool looking mask, so I didn't have a problem with it. But yeah, but then they uh, took it off as like uh, a human. Girl, I thought that was yeah. kind of. I'd actually like a week. I like that less. I like the mask better. But and it didn't bother me so much until I looked up what they looked like before. I was like, well, you know, you could have at least sort of referenced it. Yeah, yeah. there was a, a fan line, fan pleasing line, I guess. I, I guess technically, from you know, given the period they're meant to be from, the Silurians should not be called the Silurians. That's yes. right. And the Doctor makes that reference. He said, the Silurians or the Eocenes. Right. So. Hmm. Well, and then he also says something about you know, oh, it's a variant, variant group or something like that. And it's like you know, at, at some point, if you're having to explain that much away, yeah, why didn't you just make them something different? Why didn't you? Yeah. Why does it have to be this when there's not the story there to tell? Oh, and, I uh, think it has to do with the nerd, the nerd jerk writing it. Well, I think that, I think it might. I mean, and you can say that about. I mean, I think that's a critique to be made of, say, a lot of Cyberman stories. Mm -hmm. You know, why why are you using this 
monster in this situation other than the fact you wanted to bring back the Cybermen. It's not a story that requires them. It's, mm -hmm. you know, it, it doesn't happen as often with Dalek stories, but it does happen there too. Just tell a good story, and if you if there's a good reason to bring in this character or this monster, then do it. But otherwise, you know, have a little imagination. Come up with something new. Hmm. Well, let's move on to the next one. Uh, do you mind if I say anything? <laughs> oh, <laughs> sorry, I, I kind of do. No, okay, go ahead. Okay, that's all right. I I I, I forgot you hadn't. That's okay. I can't say that I I, I have much to say. Um, I guess the uh, the uh, nostalgic person in me liked that the Silurians were back. I liked the first episode especially. I think hearing your um, your sort of uh, <laughs> dissension and <laughs> dissenting critique about uh, about this story was really very interesting because it, it, I didn't really think of it that way because of just I, I actually didn't mind it so much I didn't go I guess that deeply in it um, and it's just you know interesting what we're willing to how far we're all willing to go or wanting to go I just I, I enjoyed the story I actually think the first episode was really really good I like. I, I actually enjoy the episodes that feature a kid because a lot of the kids are very likable and yeah. like you can see they're, the, they're sort of the direct reference to, for the audience and the doctor seems to relate to them very well. And you can sort of see that they like this particular character equated with the doctor more than his own mom. Sometimes, you know, uh, I found that kind of, I, I, I liked that character in particular. The second episode, eh, you're right. It was kind of it, it, there was it lacked a bit of point to it, and and it's kind of a it's kind of a obvious real make of the original Silurian story with a, elements from Inferno and the demons thrown in. But I didn't mind it so much. I, I think it uh, it it still pleased me enough that I didn't feel mm. I didn't feel like we'd gone back to some of the other, earlier episodes that I didn't like. So. Yeah. For me, I was still, I still was along for the riot at this point where it didn't bother me as much as it bothered Aaron. I, I think it's because I don't know as much about the back history, so there wasn't as not enough to make me angry. I guess oh, for maybe. me, it, it ties into something you said about Victory of the Daleks with it, with it, you know, here it is, it's referencing Power of the Daleks, which is, you know, season four of the original series, 1965 or something like 66. 66, yeah. Which is, which is one of the great, and it doesn't exist anymore except on audio, but it's one of the great stories. And you're going to try to reference or, or in some ways remake aspects of that story. Well, if you're not going to do it well, don't do it. <laughs> yes, with that with that argument, I should dislike this story more than I do. <laughs> and that was my problem, especially with the second half, which is that the second half is the part that really deals with what the crooks of, of what's going on in the story, the Silurians, season seven of the original season of the show, um, about this conflict between humans and this other race that believes it's the real owner of the earth. And the doctor trying to negotiate peace between them. And, and it's in that story, it is drawn out considerably and there is nuance and conflict and some back and forth. And here it's really boiled down to this very simplistic way of 
approaching it and done very quickly. And then the resolution is less satisfying than the original as well. Mm. It, it, it's, it's every aspect of it is inferior <laughs> to the original. Yeah. And, yeah. and at some point, the first episode I, I kind of liked, but I kind of liked it on style points, you know? Oh, okay. That, yeah, I like the kid and I kind of, I like, you know, okay, having the drilling thing and people getting sucked in the air. Okay, that's good. You know, that's good stuff. But really, what was it about? And when you get to the, to the what is it about, which is really the second half, it turns out it's not really anything that's all that interesting. And uh, so it's like let's run up and down some corridors. And it's the it's the exact story that was told in a much more interesting way before, and then and then told again in the Sea Devils in a in a yes slightly lesser but still pretty good way. And told again in Warriors of the Deep season twenty one in a in a much inferior and yet much about the same level of sophistication. (laughs) You know, so I mean, why why do this again? What is there new to this story? You know, what what is new about this story this time? Yeah, and I didn't get that. I didn't get what was new about it this time. I think your point is very well taken. There we go. <laughs> well, let's let's move on to the Vincent and the Doctor episode because I want to. My yeah. brother brought up something very interesting that I didn't think about when I was watching, but it makes complete sense to me in retrospect. In that, I think this episode would have been much better if there was no creature in it. If it was just them interacting with Van Gogh, and oh, and what he had what he had to put. What he had to put up with, and and his sort of like uh, fight with life that he had. I thought the creature was the whole metaphor for depression. <clears throat> yeah, well, really, uh, I guess so. But honestly, well, the- it totally was. It totally was. It's something <laughs> nobody nobody else can see, and it was destroying his life. But no, you know, uh, it was it was get it was affecting other people near him. You know, so much. And what's yeah. that? And then we saw it. And we saw it, yeah. And that was my my only qualm with it, with that aspect of it, and that metaphor of it, was that I didn't mind that it was real. But I didn't want to see it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because if, he's, because if he's the only one who can see it, I shouldn't be able to see it, too. Yeah. You know? Okay. That's, I mean, that was my... That was the point at which I was a little disappointed in that decision. Otherwise, I, I thought it was I was fine with it. I was a little the whole going to see his painting in the future was a little too suck up a, a little too much for me. <laughs> but well, it, it didn't but bother me that I, much. I, it didn't bother me that much. But I was worried that the last one of the big critiques of the last four years has been the over sentimentalization. Of the show, yeah, and they've been they were much better about it this series. But that was a moment where we're you know, uh, where I felt like they were getting close to that edge of being emotionally manipulative. 
I liked it though. This was I I don't I see what you're saying, but this is also ten episodes in before you. No, I agree. Like that, so. I agree. And I'm not saying it as uh, you know, I, in the past that it ruined some of the stories. Uh, I know there are a lot of people who really like Father's Day from uh, Christopher Eccleston's season. Yep. I felt overly manipulated by that episode. That it was trying way too hard to get me as a dad to cry. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. And, yeah. it, and this episode didn't get that far, but that was the moment where I went, now hold on, just be careful here, because if, if this goes from being something truly touching to feel, you know, it, it was towing that line. And I don't know that they crossed it, but I thought they were pretty close. <laughs> Well, they tempered it with him, with her being all excited that they saved him, and then having him kill himself anyway. Right, and that was and that was That's true. And, and giving Matt Smith and Karen Gillan another great scene out of it. Right. Yeah. Okay, I, comforter. To me, this is again one of the top, one of the better episodes of the season. But it was one of the again, it was a like Amy's choice. I felt like this was a very good episode that had a little bit more room to be better. Right, I agree with you. I I did not like the creature bits, especially once they showed him. Like Aaron says, I think I think it might have made it better for me if they hand showed him all. So I think okay. the rest of it's really good. But the mechanism used to see the creature meant that we got to see William Hartnell once again. I know. <laughs> At that point, though, it started to be a little overkill. <laughs> <laughs> you know, after the after the bizarre cart, you no, know, like cartoonish non-performance of Churchill in Victory of the Dogs. Like, I kind of look like him and I'm holding a cigar. Take my word for it. I'm Churchill. I mean, the performance of Van Gogh... Uh, was, was very, very good. Oh, that was very believable. Very yeah. good. Wonderful. I it loved, was wonderful. You know, he he played the character right. I liked um, his sort of uh, affection for Amy and the way that was played. And I liked uh, his, you know, his down moments I thought were very very moving, very, very gripping to see. Um I loved his Clint Eastwood moment of, you know, kind of getting himself together and that that shot of him with the or the silhouette where he's got his easel and, you know, the coat and the hat. He's ready to go paint the the creature. Yeah. But I also even liked his how his puzzlement of, of how odd the doctor is. Yes. That even even somebody who is quote unquote you know, crazy, <laughs> or at least the you know the historical interpretation of him is mm-hmm. is the shorthand of Van Gogh. He looks at this doc the, the doctor and goes, "Boy, I don't get you. You are <laughs> you are bizarre, <laughs> <laughs> and not not even like." A dark oncoming storm. Not even like that. I like the I also like the attempt to convey how the artist saw the world, that starry mm-hmm. scene at the end. Yes. I thought that was really I thought that was really beautiful. I, I wondered, I don't know if people if you guys know much about Van Gogh. Um sure. They seem to suggest he might have been a synesthete, uh, where he, uh, uh, someone who has synesthesia. He had lead poisoning. Oh, was that what it was? Mm-hmm. Oh. That's what the theory is, is that he had lead poisoning. 
Okay, because he, he makes a specific mention of, like, seeing colors, and I wondered if that was why he, like, or seeing or hearing, <clears throat> he, he made some cross-reference to our, to your senses, the way that synesthetes do. One of my favorite composers saw colors when he heard music and wrote music to create the colors that he wanted to see. Well, it's so, very possible he's that, too. Yeah, I, I wasn't sure if that was, like, a fact that we know about him, or that was just a suggestion for why he could see the creature. I, I didn't know. That's really interesting. I I had no idea, but yeah. I, I I think it's uh, and, and what a leap in every imaginable way from the preceding episodes. <laughs> yes. Oh, just a second. <sighs> Not yet. Okay, let's go. <laughs> <laughs> was that, who was that, Chris? Yeah. I, I hope so. <laughs> Jackie. Jackie. Oh, uh, she's already been in here writing me notes about how I could, should go to sleep. Oh. Oh, I guess it's not going to be that easy. <laughs> yes? Oh, you're going to bed? Oh, frowny face. All right, bye. Oh, well. <laughs> I guess he actually had something to say. Hey, he made it to one of these uh, podcasts. <laughs> oh, zippity do. All right, all right, all right. So, the anyway, I'm oh, uh, oh, sorry. Go ahead, Aaron. Did you have more? I was um, just going to mention uh, how much I did like that final scene uh, with uh, Vincent being brought to the museum. I thought it was a really cool point. I don't remember if it's been touched on in the series. If you can show a person the impact they have in the world, especially when they have no idea about it, that can actually be really kind of wonderful, a wonderful thing that you can do with time travel. Uh, I, I thought that was really, really nice. And I thought Bill Nye was great. I was surprised he was uncredited. Oh, right. yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. I love their little uh, bow tie exchanges. As well. That was really sweet. <laughs> yeah. Bill Nye, the science guy? No, Bill Nye. No, Bill Nye <laughs> <laughs> Another bow tie person, though. That's true. He is. <laughs> I love that. It, in the end, it didn't make a difference. No, that was important. That was without that. I, I, you know, you can't. Well, a, he's a historical figure. You can't mess around with that. Yeah. Even though they could, even though they could. Here's the thing: they could have, and then undone it in Pandora. But yeah, true. But yes, they could have. But you can't. And glad they didn't. But also just showing that this is a serious issue, that this is not this is not something that we just that, that you go out and you show your depressed friends that they're making a difference in their life and yay they're all cured. Right. I mean I no. think that I think that's an important thing to have in there. Mm-hmm. And I believe this is like the only Doctor Who episode where the closing credits had a hotline number. Yeah. <laughs> yes, it was. Right. <laughs> Interesting. So, well, anyway, uh, one last thing. They did a good job with the uh, the visuals of the the scenery and everything, sort of built uh, tying in with this artwork. I thought not yeah. just with the graphic up upgrades of it, but you know the beginning where they have the wheat and everything in the show. That well, I mean, well, again, yeah. the location shooting. Right. What a world of difference from the last couple of seasons. It just felt yeah. bigger in that respect right. when you get out out and about. And I, I believe. I could be wrong. I believe that was Croatia again. Okay. Oh, probably. Yeah. Well, next, The Lodger. <laughs> I liked it. I liked it, was, too. 
So like, was, the, was this the... Uh, the odd couple. <laughs> it was. But was this also the economy episode where one uh, one actor is kind of out of it for a little bit? Or I mean, I guess they were kind of all in it, but it seemed like in the past few years there's been at least one episode where one person's not in it. This was yeah, because they filmed it simultaneously. Right. But there wasn't an Amy episode. If this was a doctor episode, there wasn't an Amy episode. So I don't know if that was what it was, but no, I think it was, it was, it was a doctor episode, but I think it kind of would have balanced out the filming of the next two, which were, you know, extended episodes. So there's more footage, but the Amy episode should have been the last episode, but, um, but this was, this was great. This was actually based on a comic strip that they had done for the magazine. Oh, really? Yeah. And so, which is not the first time they've done that sort of thing. Uh, okay. But. I was prepared to not like this. <laughs> <laughs> because right. when you see the previews and you go, they're going for a comedy episode and they're, and not just, it's, it's okay for, for, for the show to be funny, right? I, I think we established that in Vampires of Venice and in other situations. I mean, certainly there have been some of the great eras of the show's history have had humor in them. Mm-hmm. What I don't like is when the, the purpose of the episode is comedy. Right. So, sure. for, so for instance, uh, what was that one? The concrete block one. Uh, yeah. Love the Monsters. Love the uh, Monsters. Okay. The, the blog of blops or whatever it was. What was right. that thing called? The Absorbathon? Yes, yes. The Absorbalop. 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 Yes, I was I close. Like yes. <laughs> Sorry, and um, when you looked at the previews, I was very worried that's what we were going to get again. And it sort of was. And there were a few few moments in it that I thought, okay, didn't need to do that. But it worked very well because of Matt Smith. Oh, my gosh. Well, this one where he's the least human. Without (laughs) extremely awkward and right, and 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 if you would have had some of the other actors, I mean, obviously many of the other actors could not have done that story and made it work because they are too human. And it was it was because of him it worked very well, uh, as well as it possibly could. I don't think I don't think. it's, for me, it could never have been a stellar, wonderful, amazing episode. It could only be a good episode if they played it right. And they did. They did. I didn't need the headbutt. The headbutt I could have done without. Yeah, that was, but that <laughs> was, forgot that about was that. William Hartnell again. We got to see William Hartnell one more time. We got to see him one more time, but it was also, it was also a, the writer writing into a, you know, writing into a jam and, mm-hmm. Really not being. <laughs> well, I mean, I would much rather have the headbutt than the mind meld. I I, 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 I laughed I, at the headbutt. I think the yeah. music, the music I, I, and their their reactions made it for me. I laughed <laughs> at it, but at, but I laughed at it when it was happening. But after the fact, they went, "Oh shoot!" And the reason I don't like it is because I don't like the precedent. I don't ever want to see that again. <laughs> Oh, I don't think you <laughs> would. Otherwise, well, you could use that all the time. You don't know what's going maybe, on here. Come here. Maybe, maybe not while Moffat is producer. My worry yeah. is that things get used as a precedent, and then yeah. some other writer, somebody else, gets himself in the same jam, mm-hmm. 
And then they use this thing that, oh, it's okay to use it because it was used back in episode, you know. Right. right. <laughs> and, and we see that. We see that's happened throughout the entire show's history. Yeah, pretty soon it turns into the Three Stooges. <laughs> uh, that, so that, that was, it, it was, it, yeah, I thought it was funny. But I also thought, boy, I don't ever want to see that again. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I liked, uh, I liked the doctor making an omelet. Yes. Yeah. It was very funny and playing, it playing, good. yeah, and playing, uh, run oh, football. My, 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 one of my favorite lines, football. That's the one with sticks. <laughs> <laughs> oh, right. He's so totally clueless and he, and he's got, uh, Amy to help him out and, and yeah. remind him like what, how he needs to, it, what's the right way to interact with people. And I love how he asks, uh, there's a pub match and he has, oh, a drinking game. Yes. <laughs> I thought that was the way he tried to fit in and uh, was really well played. Apparently, he can play football rather well, too. Well, that he was, was he. yeah, that was what he was going to do. And he had a, what was it, Aaron, a back injury? Yeah, he was on some junior team until he was like 16 or 17. You know, well, yeah. one of Just like Gordon Ramsay. Yeah, well, a lot like Gordon Ramsay, actually, in that way. That That was the <laughs> career that he not only wanted to do, but, but also he was physically, you know, he was sort of like you would think of, you know, a college or a minor league ball player. Uh-huh. And, uh, yeah, he had an injury. I think it was his back, but I don't remember exactly. I, I don't remember what, what injury it was, but, and it was, he had the injury and then kind of realized, well, I may not be able to do this and tried out acting and, that was, you know, surprisingly not that long ago. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> wow. But again, more great random physical moments. Like I, <laughs> I loved him taking a sip out of the wine and just putting it right back in the cup. <laughs> 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 again, uh, that that just again like being an alien. That uh, ridiculous yeah. contraption he made in his room that he kept having to avoid. Yeah. Like, had little worms <laughs> and things. He kept having to avoid it as it went around. That was great. <laughs> I thought um, the element of the creature upstairs using the intercom to lure people up was like the empty, was sort of like the empty child. Yeah. Like, thing using, like, it, it sounded actually like a very, not the same, because it was a boy and this was a girl's voice, but like, the voice, I felt like I had heard that voice before, like doing something very similar. Uh, I don't know if that was that uh, young <laughs> actress had been reused or whatever, but it was interesting how some of the same elements, like we spoke of. Um, I think a lot of know, English kids sound that way. No, well, <laughs> well yes. Well, what I'm referring to is a couple of Moffat elements from the past are coming back yeah. in different ways, like the use of talking to the dead through a communicator. Right. In, in the in the time of angels. And now the lodger, using that same idea, uh, comes back in a different way. You know, it also uh, had, I mean, it had the feel also, I don't know how familiar you are with, say, Sapphire and Steel. Yeah. But yeah. It, had, it had a little bit of a feel of some of the things that go on there as well. Um, okay. You know, mysterious alien presence trying to lure you to do something or be somewhere. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it had a little bit of that feel to it, which is good because I... Sapphire and Steel, if you don't know, is a, was a fantastic show that didn't run very long. But 
Uh, is, it also, think, is it also British or? Yeah. Yes, it was Joanna Lumley and, oh, Dave, and David, David McCallum. McCallum. Yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. It's, it's a sci-fi. It was written by P.J. Hammond. I don't know if you know P.J. Hammond, but. Don't think he, so. uh, he's, uh, no, it's, it's really good. It's only, it, they, you know, they did short seasons, you know, like, uh, you know, six this? episodes. Would you guys, like would that. you guys like to watch it? I, can I don't know. It. I can get it for you if you want to check yeah, it out. I, I still haven't watched Sherlock, so I well, can put uh, it in Sherlock is good. I have the DVDs, but they're on loan to somebody else right now. So, I, you know, but, um, I'm, anyway, I'm sure it will come up again. I just wanted to bring, bring that up because I think there's, you know, I think there's a lot of these types of shows that people of a certain age in Britain saw or knew and become these reference points. Mm-hmm. In the way that in the old series, things like if you're familiar with Quatermass or right. uh, or some of those other things were the reference points for Robert Holmes or for Terrence Dix or people like that. I think some of these there's some other things that become the reference points for some of the new writers. Um, yeah, I think that sort of uh, cross colonization or influence or whatever kind of always goes on, right? And we may not be aware of it because it's something that you know we just don't see. Uh, right. There's all kinds of references that my British friends keep telling me are there to contemporary things that I, I how would I know? Mm-hmm. Um, now, well, the one thing I wanted to bring up about this episode, though, was the the fact that that I'm hoping they'll maybe even go into next season is this idea of whatever was upstairs was trying to build a TARDIS. Right. Oh, yeah, it was. And that's, that's an interesting of, idea. That kind of got left, and I was kind of thinking it might get touched upon in the, you know, the, the Pandorica episodes. But it didn't, and then it seems like there's still, you know, when we get to those episodes, we'll talk a little bit, I'm sure, about how it, it was left a little bit open-ended. Well, that's certainly true. At the end, it wasn't particularly clear what happened to the spaceship. Right. It right. just sort of disappeared. So. And why, and who was it, and why were they doing this, and mm-hmm. how did they have that ability? And, yeah, it was, it was, and, you know, knowing Moffat, it'll come back. <laughs> yeah. At some point. You know. I have its own episode. In our, well, maybe uh, they, maybe when maybe when they're building that ship, they won't make it susceptible to the power of love. I hope not. <laughs> <laughs> wasn't, there, wasn't there a Huey Lewis? Song I was going to say we get Huey Lewis to come in. And <laughs> bam, bam. No, wouldn't that be hilarious? <laughs> uh, little. Well, uh, I was going to say in our in our rush to get away from uh, the hungry Earth in cold blood, we forgot to mention that the Doctor. Pulled a piece of the TARDIS out of the crack. Oh, right, and held it up. Yes, indeed he did. And that uh, Rory's uh, wedding ring, or Amy's wedding ring, was still hidden in the console. Rory had left it there. Right. And the doctor had swiped it away. But at the end of this episode, the lodger, uh, Amy finds it again. Right. Mm -hmm. Right, right, right. So she's suspicious as to what the doctor is up to with it. Yes. Yes. And there's a flashback after that. Well, yes, because Several people flashbacks. be constantly reminded. Right. Dun, dun, and re-reminded. 
<laughs> I have my keyboard here. I should walk dun, over there. That's right. The B theme. Um, <laughs> are like we ready? Are we ready to move on to the next one? Uh, well, I think so. Okay, this yeah, was all, the best episode of all of them. It all ties together. We get to see Vincent Van Gogh and by the biggest Van letdown. <laughs> I was so impressed with them at the end of this episode. I was so impressed, and then they completely just said, "Never mind." At the beginning of the next episode, uh, the the Big Bang one. Wait a minute, where are we going? Are we going to go through this? What are we doing here? Oh, sure. I'll let you guys talk for a while. Oh, thank you. Uh, I usually just give my gut reactions like, sucks, hated it. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, you do. The beast beast below. Crap. (laughs) Crap. Next. (laughs) Next. (laughs) Um, Well, I I certainly felt this was the best of any of the season finale since the show started. Agreed. Well, at least the best first part. No, I think taken as a whole. Well, name one that was better taken as a whole. No, I think you're I think you're right. I think I even mentioned this before. The resolution was the most satisfying and and acceptable in terms of like I've been saying, credulity. Like I was able to go with it much better with some of the others, you know, which yeah. were so over the top to me. This was just about the right amount of over the top. There's an inherent problem with with this whole concept that we're going to have a season finale where we set up the end of the universe, the end of time, the end of the earth, yeah. whatever it is. You know, the that, end of reality. That, that that you that you know, obviously in episode one, you're going to set up the biggest problem ever, and in episode two, you have to somehow resolve that. And so it's always going to. I think it's anytime you're setting out to do that, which I think is a huge mistake. But anytime you're going to set out to do that, you have the problem of the of the second episode letdown. Yeah. But oftentimes in the past the the, the setup hasn't been very good either. Um, right. and this one had a fantastic setup and I think an acceptable resolution. I think that if they could have just been brave enough to not have to break them and have them come right back. They could have said let's let the supporting characters run the show for like maybe like 20 minutes and that, you know, that would have been much more satisfying to me, even with the same story. Hmm. Well, even if they could have told the story in a way that didn't, that even though he was doing those things, you didn't see him for the first 10 minutes or so. Right. It's almost as if they said, you know, we're not really comfortable not showing the main character. Well, that, wait a minute, the beginning of the, Oh, the, the last one. Yeah. I mean, he wasn't in it. He was in it right away. He was in like the first couple minutes. First, first few yeah. shots. No, but I'm saying first you, you didn't know what it was. You were following young Amelia Pond, and then you were following what was going on there, and you were following Rory talking to dead Amy, and yeah. you saw a Flash, but it wasn't him. And then it was then. Well, we're jumping ahead, but I mean, no, no, I. I think Joe and I both both are saying that we would have liked it to be just a little bit longer before. I gotcha. It was just so powerful that they took him and they trapped him in that box, and I didn't see it coming. 
I and it was that coming in. And it was such a surprise. It was so awesome. And they played it right with the music wasn't over the top. It was right. The right music oh, for it. Yeah. The right cinematography right. for it. Everything was right the whole way they did it. And then in the second was like, here I am. I'm saving the day again. It's like, I'm in a fez yeah. and broom. And yeah. And it's like, <laughs> no, no, don't do that. Now, but, I, now, I happen to love the line fezes. I'm going to wear a fez from now on. I like fez. I wear, I wear cool. fez now. Yeah. yeah. It's cool. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> okay, that was fantastic. But... Immediately shot. <laughs> but um, still, other than that, that's basically the only trouble I really had with it. Is it, that I, I just didn't want it to be like it was such a powerful moment. It was almost like when uh, you know the when they ruined that the the end of that season two with the Titanic coming in to me. Well, let's let's backtrack a bit because okay. the Pandora opens, so we have this opening where all of these elements. From the story, like I was saying, so we have Van Gogh again, Churchill, and the Queen, and uh, who, anyone on River Song. So all, everything yeah. comes back, and then they're in Rome, and all of this stuff is Stonehenge. But then the Cybermen come back. Did you follow that? Mm-hmm. And they have well, new right. power. They have new powers to shoot darts, and their heads can walk around with. Yep. Well, yeah. I mean, I think actually they were in Britain in the time of Rome. Right. They were just, they were just right. Roman soldiers there. Right, right. But, um, but yeah, actually, I oh, found... Oh, right, Stonehenge, obviously. Yeah, right. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they were in Stonehenge. That's right. But I actually found that element of the cyber head being able to have tentacle-like tubes coming from it. That was actually kind of cool. I liked that. I uh, I thought that was very memorable and, and kind of scary. Yeah, it's almost like the face grabber from Aliens. The, the difficulty uh, I had with it is actually a somewhat of a continuity issue. Right. There, which And it's not even an old continuity issue, which is more disturbing. That Okay, so the Cybermen were from a, <laughs> from a different dimension in the new series. The Cybermen yes. from a different dimension, and they came through. And, of course, in Next Doctor, it was completely unexplained as well. But, I mean, so how did we still get them here? And what's even more, pro- and I didn't spot this till somebody pointed out to me like last week, that even when the, in the Next Doctor and in Pandorica, they've still got the big Cybus Industries C on their chest. Yes. <laughs> so, oh, wow. So where did they come from? They came from the props, props you know, room. I think and, you're being and, a little too literal there. Well, yeah, I mean... <laughs> And, you know, then there was, the, you know, and the Silurians show up. Well, how did they know to show, you know? How did they all get there? Because cooperation. They're all working together. And I didn't mind that idea. I just felt that they could have picked differently. Like, there were some 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 things in there just didn't quite make sense. And so... You think? You know, I just... <clears throat> And it wasn't a big deal, but it's it's that little deal that sort of makes you stop and go, that that sort of just can jar you a slight bit when you're, you know, watching this episode. And I thought it was I, I thought it was great, uh, as Joe pointed out. Matt Smith gets the you know the David Tennant type speech. Yes. Completely turned on its head when they <laughs> they all pretend to run away. Yeah, like. Waiting for you. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that was awesome. But like Joe said, like that shot, you know, the slow motion, like being dragged in, struggling with the feet, trying to, 
you know, and even that last, like, listen to me, he's crying practically, and they they almost could have not had that resolved and and have like part of the next season about getting him back. Could have been, hmm. But and the premise of of Rory as an auton, I mean, it was very. There was a lot of strange stuff going on. Yes, but he didn't change through love. And uh, you know the the tar. Uh, there's a lot we're kind of skimming over here, like River Song traveling back to Amy's house, mm-hmm. right, and the right. entire thing is created out of her subconscious. Now the Daleks seem to suggest that. They were, like, I don't know if everybody came up with this idea, but since the Daleks explained it, I thought it was the Daleks who had come up with this idea of using memories from her head to create a scenario that the Doctor would fall into a trap with. But um, then when when River landed at Amy's house on this date, which was somehow the base code that was referenced in, you know... Uh, uh, the, 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 or, not the Time Angel, of Angels. Fle- the, flesh and Stone. Flesh and Stone. And then this sinister voice says, "Silence will fall," and the yeah. scanner screen cracks. You know, so what, you know, there's a lot of mystery that's still being seated, and it's it's a lot, almost like you know, I'm, now I'm at the point where I'm counting on these flashbacks to. to help <laughs> <everything>. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> now, does it? Does Rory? Stay a, a an auton like he's still yes. an auton and that's it's who Amy married, right? How's that work? No, 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 no. Oh that, no, it's a different timeline. Is that? that is post- that's the old timeline, right? Yes, Rory's an auton, and then they, you know, to Moffat's theme in a very fairy tale way, you know, stays by the Pandorica to guard, uh, to guard it, right? Okay. Uh, and then did you follow the whole premise of, you know, I, I don't think it was clear why the TARDIS was exploding. I think that's a mystery saved for next that season. Is that next season, yeah. That's, that's, that's pretty interesting. Yeah. But for, you know, River to be trapped in it, and then he he's doing this sort of uh, time jumping that isn't quite explained. He somehow got out so that he'll always get out. Is that yeah. when he's, like, seeing... Parts of his past that are being rewound, or no, no, no. Like you know, you know, how did he get out of the Pandorica? Um. Uh, <laughs> <I> just, <laughs> <laughs> oh, why'd you have to go? Oh, he could, no, he got let out immediately because he had given Auton Rory his sonic screwdriver. Yeah, but he had. To, but that's the weird thing. He had to get out to do that. So how did he get out? So it like sort of created no, itself. I thought he gave it to him. Before he went in, didn't he? No, because no, she was dead. The image, was holding... of, the image of him from the jumping from the museum to Rory gave him the sonic screwdriver. But actually, <laughs> you're right. I don't know how he got I... out originally. Well, I, I think it was it was deliberately wanted you know to use the unfortunate phrase the wibbly wobbly tiny wimey. <laughs> 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 I think so. But then, um, you know, it's sort of take this uh, idea a little bit further in terms of reacting to the Russell Davies version of, uh, of Doctor Who. The Doctor has the very cheeky line of, we're going to reboot the universe. Yes. <laughs> 
Well, and, and, and you know, I, I believe there was a line in there, something along the lines of that, you know, these things are really only possible because of the, because of what's happening with the crack. Mm-hmm. And that this, you know, the implication being that this can't be done normally, so, you know, therefore it won't be done next season. Yeah. <laughs> you know? <laughs> and, and that, yes, we're going to reboot it, we're going to reset everything so that, A, we can selectively ignore things that we didn't really want. Right. But also to limit some of this tendency to to go to the extremes on, on the resolutions. Mm-hmm. Well, I think uh, he's already promised uh, that the next season will have a sort of more quieter finale. It's not going to be end of the universe type of stuff. Really? Yeah, he's, yes. he's gone on record with that. Oh, well, it's why it'll be all the more surprising when he does it anyway. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's dun, 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 dun. <laughs> well, there was the, so, I mean, the dramatic sort of reset of the universe. I loved the scene of him waking up in the TARDIS. I actually thought of Jess from our last podcast because Jess was complaining about Russell Davies coming up with these wonderful places that the doctor and his companion have traveled to that we never see like the Jess and like the blotty blob, the blobity blah. Like. <laughs> yeah. And I love that Matt Smith wakes, the Matt Smith doctor wakes up and sees that, you know, he's looking at his past. He goes, Oh, this was last week when we went to space, Florida. <laughs> That's right. Space, Space Florida. Florida, which seemed again seemed like a deliberate counterpoint to these yeah. very flowery, you know, over descriptive names, you know. Yeah. Space Florida. Well, that's funny. <laughs> I didn't think of that. Thank you. I didn't think of that. <laughs> but again, that was also a kind of. Um, revisiting of the past, even though some of it we hadn't seen. Like, he got the extra time in the episode to mm-hmm. have a little review. Which right. <laughs> which is what we so criticized Russell Davis for in the last uh, in the last episode. But, I mean, it meant something because it got us to that point in the Flesh and Stone episode where he we, we figure out what that weird random scene meant. Right. Yeah. That's true. Which also means that these, I mean, one of the reasons why I felt that this uh, story arc worked, I think, is because it was actually well-conceived from the beginning. Mm. Um, you know, uh, Russell Davies has been on record, he says it himself in the commentaries, and everybody laughs about it, about how he tends to kind of put things off. And <laughs> that he tends to deliver scripts up, up against deadlines and uh, not make key decisions until he's forced to make the key decisions. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes they would be starting to build in some of these, well, they knew that the Harold Saxon thing was going to be coming along, but maybe it wasn't built in all that strongly because he didn't have a very, he hadn't made a decision really about exactly how it was going to work by the end. Whereas I, 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 looking back on this, I really feel like Stephen Moffat knew where he was going with this so that when the opportunity was there to place those scenes or those elements, they were consistent and 
meaningful and not just sort of a random un- unintelligible or unimportant reference hmm. or something, you know, sometimes you got the feeling with previous season finales that they were going back and going out of their way to try to mm-hmm. incorporate something they had already written that they didn't know was going to be important. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, they've, right. and they've now decided it's going to be important. Right. Like or, the hand cut off thing and all that other stuff. And mm-hmm. I just got, I just got the feeling with these that it was, things were much more deliberate. Yeah. Yes. And, and to the point of him even saying that some of the issues that were raised this year will not be resolved until next year. Well, that's that kind of ta- nice. Like that the silence, takes the that take, yeah the side the whole silence aspect of it. But I mean that takes some significant forethought yeah. to be thinking. I have this story to tell, and it involves getting all these things in, and I know where it's going to go, and I know where it's going to head. Um, and some of that might also be, you know, he's. He comes from, I and mean, he's written film scripts. He's written miniseries and things like this. I think he has a pretty good sense of how to write for larger scale hmm. stories. I think so too. So I'm, I'm hoping that's going to continue. <laughs> and that I hope so too. I think now that you mention that. Um, that the plan is to be less end of the universe type stuff in the next season. I actually hope that'll curtail some of the over the top stuff that I have complained about that I think is left over from the style of, of the old series. And we actually got some more of, of that too. I, 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 I guess I'm finding it hard. It's a lot of the source of this is from river song. This, this uh, series who, when we first met her was a professor Mm-hmm. And a sort of, I guess, a sort of archaeologist or, or whatever she was. I forget why she was uh, in that in that library in the first place. But then to see her as this spy slash agent slash you know action hero is really was really jarring to me. And so, mm-hmm. and then to be so cavalier as to put graffiti on a black box and that's why the doctor goes to rescue her to put graffiti that both of which says hello sweetie on this oldest writing of the universe I, what was the beginning of pandorica opens where uh, they was, go to this yeah like something like that i don't i, I personally don't need that I, I think that's just that's just over the topness for the sake of over the top it gets you from point a to point b in a really un un uh What's the word I want? Um, subtle, unsubtle, unsubtle way, or, or yeah, or just kind of an un, inelegant kind of way uh, that I I hope they don't feel the need to have to write in future stories. Well, it's I always think, bothered. I think there's going to with that character. I think there's definitely going to be a shift because there are hidden elements to her past as well. The uh, father Octavian. Made reference to, you know, right. she'd kill somebody and, you know, it's, he really, you know, there's a strong hint, like, did she kill the doctor? You know, he's, yeah. you really don't want to know. Yeah. And he doesn't get the chance to, to tell him. And then, uh, she herself confirms it in her final scene with, with, uh, the doctor that, you know, you're going to see me again. 
which Moffat has confirmed that that's going to be the next season that you're going to find out everything. You know? Okay. So I'm, I'm very much in a wait and see mode. Right. Hey, just a quick aside. I was looking at TARDIS stuff while we were talking and they got a picture from the first season, like a color picture of the TARDIS with uh, William Hartnell next to it. And it does have that St. John's ambulance logo. Seriously? On yeah, okay, here, yeah. I'll show you. It's like really, really weathered, so you can barely see it, but it's there. Huh. So yeah, it's, uh, it's you guys, me I just here. put it in the, the thing. Got it. See it? Well, I guess, yes. Go ahead, Aaron. Well, I was going to say, I guess the, the big thing that I, I three hours into this now that I, I <laughs> want, I don't want to sort of say as a, starting to wrap this up is just that when we were talking last year, uh, the tone was completely different mm-hmm. of what we were saying. And uh, as people who've been lifelong fans, at least three of us, and, you know, Joe now, it's been a long time. Uh, well, I was, I was watching it back in 85, too, so. Yeah, I, I was pretty fed up as of last year with how things were. Yeah. And ready to ready to accept the fact that it's not the show that I was a fan of and that, you know, as, as has happened with other shows, I'm just ready to move on now. And I'm going to, I've still got these, you know, I still have some DVDs of the old show and I still like the old show, but you know, I don't need to keep up with it anymore. And I've certainly had that happen with other shows. None that have been maybe as, 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 significant in my life as this show was um but it's happened and this was this year was sort of the last chance and uh i'm glad i gave it the last chance because i really did enjoy watching those every week uh even the couple that i didn't like i you know it's it's not a big problem to me to watch stories that where I don't think the stories are, are great or they're not put together well, if the character is interesting, and if I think there's a decent chance that next week's going to be better. And the problem the last few years has been, I didn't necessarily, if, if there was a bad episode, I didn't necessarily feel that the next week was going to be any better. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I was, there was, there was, there wasn't that thought in my head for a while. And and now I certainly think there is. And I look forward to what's going to be happening. I'll be interested to see what he does for a Christmas special because I, you know, I've been pretty critical of Christmas specials. Uh, <laughs> and this will be his, his this is his first shot at it. Mm-hmm. So well, I guess we'll, you know, we'll see if if he can make them less <laughs> idiots. <laughs> <laughs> no, just, no flipping between BBC 1 and 2 to see what happens. <laughs> just to uh to jump a step back i love the what i thought was the payoff of the finale which was the doctor's bedside conversation with amelia oh that was so that was nice that was wonderful and again such a such a sharp contrast to like journey's end where everything is blowing up and what's going on you know yeah um but just to have him sort of tell the story of Doctor Who. It's like, I stole the TARDIS, you know, and to yeah, kind of lay the seed of, you know, how she is going to bring him back, I thought was 
very clever writing, you know, to take that whole, uh, what do you call it? Saying that goes along with wedding presents, you know, to, and to turn, oh, yeah. it, to turn it into the, into the TARDIS was, was very nice, very, very good writing and, you know, brought the whole thing together. It wasn't, you know, all these elements, her wedding and, you know, uh, her childhood, you know, uh, imaginary friend and, you know, her, her fiance, boyfriend, figuring out really, like, I thought it brought it all together really, really nicely. Uh, such a, and again, such a far cry from just like the sort of G like whiz bang special effects overload of let's spend all the money we have and, you know, just give you spectacle. And this was a different turn. Like, let's give you a story and, you know, pay attention because there's a lot of time a show about time travel, actually doing some time travel. It was, it was nice, <laughs> yeah. you know, nice for a change and to, to give it a little bit of heart and, uh, and do something meaningful with it. It was just icing on, on the cake. And I loved how it ended. I love that they actually got married. I love that, you know, you get to see Amy's parents and it's, yeah. And how it's suddenly so obvious, you know, like the whole time you're like, what happened to her parents? Of course they were swallowed by the crack, <laughs> you know, and just to finally put, put that together, uh, all of that. And that they, they go off with him in the end. And, you know, I, I don't know if the, the sort of phone conversation he has, uh, is going to be related to the, the Christmas special, but the, just what it was like, uh, you know, an Egyptian goddess running around on the Orient Express in, in space. space. <laughs> <laughs> I know that's a big deal. Could easily be. And what do you, we didn't even talk about, what do you think about people having a hotline to the doctor that people just call him? I didn't like that. I think that's bad. I, so, yeah, that's not my favorite thing either. What do they do with that? Do they get rid of that? And then, you know. Maybe they get him a secretary. I think they just. I think they just don't mention it ever again. You know? Yeah, I'd be fine with that. Yeah, I think they. Well, could we didn't just even mention that. that. You know, Churchill picked up the phone and called him. Yeah, yeah, he did. That's that. That was actually the end of Beast Below. Is right. That right. Yeah. I think the big thing that you one of the things you just said there was about you know the story and being interested in the story and story worth telling. And, you know, I made that point with um, Cold Blood that I didn't feel that there, that there was much of a story here worth telling. And I think the reason I, I was more irritated about that than maybe I, I have been in some of the, you know, more deserving uh, episodes in previous years where I should have said that about it uh, was because it was a contrast. This, this whole season really was, for the most part, stories that I was interested in. Yeah. Sometimes they were stories that I thought they didn't tell well. Sometimes I thought there were stories that they didn't give enough time to or they took too much time. But for the most part, I thought they were, they were stories that I was interested in. You know, the idea of when you start with maybe the writer's synopsis coming in, you know, saying, I'm going to pitch you this story. And most, almost all the stories in this season are ones where I could see sitting in that initial writer's meeting going, yeah, I like that one. Go with it. Whereas some of the previous years, I, I looked at the stories and said, 
half of these should have been, you know, scrapped at that stage, at the outline stage. And I didn't feel that way really this year, except for the one story. So that's, that's impressive. That's much, much, much better than it has been in a long time. Yeah. I mean, going back well into the old series. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think this, I think this season turned out very, uh, very satisfactorily, especially for the first year of a new doctor which we haven't had for a while, I realized uh, very recently that this is, this is probably the first time I have consciously lived through a time as with someone as the doctor and then having it change in such a length of time as David Tennant was. Because, you know, I grew up watching Tom Baker, but by the time I was watching him, you know, he had already been a few years into his reign, I wasn't conscious of him being the doctor for seven years. I wasn't conscious of Peter Davison having been the doctor for three years because I just got them from the PBS station when they got them. Then I got William Hartnell and we got through that for over like, you know, less than a year. So I didn't have the sense of this was a doctor for three years. This was the doctor for seven years. Right. With David Tennant, we got four years of him. And I finally understand what it's like to have a doctor for that long and then to change to a new actor and to really understand the excitement and anxiety about what this new actor is going to bring. Am I going to like it? Am I going to not? To have experienced that was, was very interesting. And now I sort of understand a little bit more about what it was like with previous doctors. But um, I think Matt Smith was uh, a great choice. I, I know we haven't spoken much specifically about Karen Gillan. I, I really like her. I think I thought she was a great foil to uh, the Doctor. I, I liked her character. Uh, uh, I think she was even better with Rory around. Um, yes. But um, I thought she I thought she was very very good. I thought she distinguished herself and and I feel good about Stephen Moffat being at the helm. He's he wrote uh, most of his stories were hits. So glad about that. And um, the arc was the most successful, even though I really don't care about arcs. Uh, I was I would be fine if they weren't there, uh, but I think this was the, probably the m- most successful one in my opinion. So I'm looking forward to the uh, the next step and, and where they take it. One thing I just want to jump in on is is just. You know, I was thinking about this, you know, we, some of the uh, online sites, we have the, the polls about, you know, best doctor, etc. And for me, at least, you've got those first four. And they are, whatever order you put them in, they're at the top. You know, one, two, three, four, they're, they're at the top. And five is down a little bit, but he's up there. And then from there, it tails off, <laughs> you know? And I like Chris Eccleston, but honestly, he doesn't make it into the top group. David Tennant doesn't make it into the top group. So it's been since 19, whatever, 80, you know, 1980, 81, whenever Tom Baker left, since we had an actor who was in that top tier. And he's the first one. But I, Matt Smith is the first one that I think can be in that 
level in that height yeah. that I, I have this confidence that give him a couple of years in this role and we're going to look back on him and say, yeah, he's the one. He's the one who, when we look back on this era of Doctor Who, that he's the, the, the one that everybody thinks of. Hmm. And I think that's hard when you're coming off Tenet, and Tenet's very popular in the UK. Yes. And, and he's sort of, he's very photogenic. But I think, I think Matt Smith has the ability to turn this character into something that is so much more. Which it hasn't been in a long time. Hmm. I think, I think, I think you may be right there. I think he does have a tall order to fill because of the popularity of David Tennant. I think I think it's definitely possible, but well, simply the, speaking, in terms of popularity, that might be yeah. tough for no. recent for recent fans. I agree, and as my UK, as some of my UK friends would say, uh, the difficulty is going to be in convincing the teenage girls <laughs> <laughs> because. Because the one thing you can say about David Tennant is that for the first time in the history of Doctor Who, <laughs> uh, there was a significant teenage girl audience. Ah, uh, yeah. In, in the in the UK, <laughs> that that it's really truly happened. That oh yes, uh, that they were they were watching him. <laughs> and, Fascinating. And that yes, we might lose that group. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I don't know. Oh, come on! Oh, he might have a big nose, but who cares? Well, no, but it's but as much of it was also about the whole way that the Rose storyline was written, etc. Sure, yeah. That that it catered to. I mean, it was like watching a soap opera in some ways, or a, you know, a, a romantic melodrama. Mm-hmm. And if that aspect of it goes away. Then yes, we're changing the audience a little bit. So I think that'll be interesting to watch because you could end up in a situation where the show gets the quality of the show goes up and the ratings go down. Mm-hmm. I wonder if that that um, playing of the Rose character towards that sort of demographic was actually kind of Russell Davis playing towards his writing strengths. That's the sort of stuff he's sort of known for, is that kind of not necessarily soap opera exactly, but at the same time, yeah, it's a romantic drama, romantic slightly comedy. Relationships, yes. Yeah, very much relationship oriented in his in his writing style, what we've seen in the past. So, that could be why the first two series for me were very strong because of the uh, interaction of Rose with the Doctor. And then the the the, thir- the third and fourth series, by contrast, because there wasn't that element so much, ended up being more over the top, um, effects driven stuff. I don't know. If, I don't know if anybody has thoughts about that. I just thought of that now. But I wonder if that is if that's at all you know feasible. Well, I kind of looked at it as, as almost running out of ideas. We've done Doctor yeah. and Companion. You know, do, uh, Companion loves Doctor. Well, can we do it again? We sort of did with Martha, but the twist was 
that it wasn't reciprocated in the same way that it was with Rose. Yeah. Um, you know, possibly throw in race, some, you know, racial commentary there. Um, and then with Donna, the twist becomes, well, she's not actually interested in the doctor either. So, mm-hmm. but, but it, it, yeah, at a certain point we were kind of treading the same ground again. And it, and it was, it's, I think some, some of the attempt to make up for it was with, we're just going to do it bigger this time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Yeah. It'll be bigger and better and, and <laughs> but it wasn't. It was just. Well, they were, they were trying to address a question that the same question with different answers where they should have just said, eh, it's not working. Let's not do it every time. Well, and it was, it was, it, there is some truth to the, the whole problem of writing uh relationship and romantic interest type stories and, and shows, which is that there are only, there's a very finite set of storylines that you have. Um, there's only certain ways that that can really work especially if you're writing in a format that is essentially a melodrama, mm-hmm. um, which Doctor Who is. And because everything turns out all right in the end somehow. <laughs> and there's, there's really a, a very limited number of things you can do with that. Whereas with the idea of a dark fairy tale of playing around with time, there, there's a much wider range of possibilities. And so I think that's, you know, you can look at that the same way, uh, you know, way back when with Philip Hinchcliffe, the idea of taking uh, different types of gothic horror type mm-hmm. stories. Well, there, there's actually, there was a fair range of ones you could try. Yeah. Um, you know, Terrence Dix is, you know, known for repeating the same stories over and over again. But, you know, one of them is <laughs> that... Well, you listen to these commentaries, he says the same oh, thing. It's, 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 it's right. Actually, it's true. But, uh, you know, he talks about when he, they inherited the Exile to Earth and Unit stories that Malcolm Hulk, another writer, came up to him and said, well, yeah. you realize you're stuck with two stories now. Yeah. You're stuck with Alien Invasion or... Mad you know, Scientist. Or Mad Scientist. Yeah. And, you know, that's the problem, is you can get yourself into a format where you no matter how creative a writer you are, you have limited options. And I felt that way about the the path they were choosing to emphasize the, the doctor companion relationship that way. It meant that you really could only tell certain stories. Mm -hmm. And especially if that was going to be more important than the actual, that what was happening in that relationship was more important many times than the plot of the episode. Mm-hmm. And that's that's a difficult thing to write around. Whereas I think this is a, a better ch- set of choices. Mm-hmm. That There is this relationship there. There are some interesting things happening with these characters, but there's a plot, first and foremost. Mm-hmm. And the plot is going to do certain things, and we're going to get it to this point, and it's driven by the plot more than the relationship of the two characters. Right. And it's just a different different type of storytelling. But I think it's one that fits this show better, and it's one that this show has historically over, you know, however many years now, 47 years. That's, 
that's what it is. Yeah, we're coming up on 50 real soon here. Yeah, not so far. Um, which well, is I wonder, I wonder where the, uh, CG William Hartnell, which is why they're kind of, you know, building that idea now. Okay, I'm kidding. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, now that the relationship, um, element is now headed in a new direction because for the first time ever, a married couple are the companions <laughs> for the doctor. Yeah. Yes. So I don't know what that's going to mean, but that could that could actually be very interesting. Which is great, I think. Stephen Moffat wrote four seasons of coupling, you know, mm-hmm. six friends with you know friendships and fights and relationship, romantic relationships and all that. I mean, he can he can write that stuff. I think having a married couple is going to be great. That line yeah. about uh, congratulations, Mister Pond is like that was good. Yeah. And, we laughed at that when he's like, yeah, that is kind of how it like, <laughs> Got my but spaceship, think, got my boys. We're not her boys. Yeah, we got them. But I think that's what I like about his writing is he can write the relationships, but he has, first and foremost, he has the story he wants to tell. Yes, yes. And I, I felt the, the problem for a few years was that I think Russell Davies had the relationships he wanted to have happening and then had to somehow or another figure out stories to go around them. Yeah. And they didn't always work. Whereas this, I feel like there's a story here first and then the relationships fit into it. At least that's, I mean... Now he might tell me I'm wrong, but <laughs> you know, <laughs> it feels that way. Well, anyway, uh, three hours. What do you think? Time to Yay. wrap it up. Wow. Well, I guess. I, oh, I enjoyed it very much. Oh yeah, Brian, and then probably me wrap up. Okay. Yeah. That, oh, Bishop. Yeah, because I've said enough now. <laughs> Oh, I mean, uh, not much more I can add. I've enjoyed it very much. I think uh, it was so strong and so fresh, and all those things, all those points Aaron, you brought up, Aaron, about you know, focus on relationship versus story. And at the time, I didn't, you know, I did enjoy the relationship sort of centric aspect of you know those earlier seasons. But having seen this and having seen what it can be like with you know, a focus on strong storytelling. And I know, Jess, you're not a fan of arcs, but it did feel like a story told from start to finish, like the first sort of chapter of a story. Because now we have the silence and River Song to learn about. But I love that the season ended. I know Joe's big thing was, you know, don't end it on this crazy screwball cliffhanger. And this season just ended with, you know, three friends, taking off in the TARDIS, all just looking up and smiling, and where are we going to go next? What are we going into next? That felt like a... Yeah, like the, a good <laughs> bookend, you know? Egyptian pyramid and crash of the walls. Like, Whoa-oh. Right, and then, you know, for all we know, I know I know nothing about what's coming. The only thing I know about the new season is that Matt Smith will have a new costume. That's the only thing that came out, but oh, okay. I don't know anything about the Christmas special, so for all we know, they could... This whole Egyptian goddess thing might not have anything to do with it. You know, they'll start their adventure like, boy, that was crazy on the Orient Express, wasn't it? Yeah. <laughs> now <it's good. laughs> Which would be great. But I, I loved it was a fresh, fresh take on it. You know, a, a very successful reset in many ways. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I don't think it's just a, a strictly a backlash thing, but just the difference in storytelling. I will be going back to watch this much sooner than any of those older seasons. I don't see myself wanting to watch those again, the older seasons at any time soon, the older of the new series that is, but because it, it just suddenly feels, you know, the last the season of specials, I, you know, like stuff like Planet of the dead, I was so done with it. And that, to me, it's just going back more of the same. This is just when they did it the first time, but they were still doing the same thing, you know. I'm great. I'm amazing. I'm the lonely god. <laughs> <laughs> Not that the lonely god thing was a bad idea. They just never did anything with it, really. Yeah. Oh, no. It was just melodramatic for the sake of it. Because let's be honest, if you could travel through time and do whatever you wanted like that, you sort of are a lonely god. But they didn't really ever... And it took until Waters of Mars to... Begin right. to scratch what that could be about. It, it really, yeah, they never really addressed it as they should have. But we don't want to start another hour conversation. So <laughs> I will wrap it up. I will say I thought it had a weak beginning, but it pulled it through and I liked it a lot. Uh, overall, it's been my favorite season since uh, the new season two. And so and the first season, the first new season, I wasn't, I thought it was fun. It was back. Second season I thought was really good, and then it went downhill from there until now. So I'm pretty happy. So welcome back. Welcome back. So Yay. there you go. All right. All righty then. All right, I'm going to stop recording. <laughs>